World's Finest Podcast, Episode 69. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. Nothing really much to report on my end. <laughs> That's very good. Very good. Uh, I, myself, am good. Um, I will say I will not make a joke about this episode number, and we will move on from there. Anyways. <laughs> uh, someone over on my Facebook page today, oh, I forget who it was. Heidi? Let's see if it was maybe Heidi. Uh, posted a thing basically commenting that we were probably going to have fun with that. And I was like, yeah, potentially, but I don't know. I thought it would be funny if we just played this whole episode completely straight. No sexual innuendos, no nothing, you know? Oh, you know, that's goddamn impossible. Yeah, exactly. It would take me three seconds to screw it up, you know? Yep. Uh, that's why I just thought we'd, we'd, you know, make reference to it right away, and then we'll just move on from there. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, in the great annals of WFP lore, we've only had one episode of WFP go over three hours. I think that's going to change tonight. Oh, I hope not. I don't have that much time to edit this one before <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> I'm just—I just have a feeling with the amount of emails we've got and yeah. our and our, our new kind of structure that we're going to go with tonight. I just think it's going to go really long. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, why don't you uh, tell our listeners how? Uh, what we're going to be doing potentially for the rest of Justice League. Right, we're going to at least try something new tonight. We're gonna we're gonna change up our reviewing style here just a smidge for Justice League. I mean, what we're gonna do is since all of these are two parters now, we're going to do a summary of part one of the story. Then after the summary's over, we'll discuss that episode, and then after our notes are over with that, we'll just summarize episode two and then discuss it. And then move on, and, you know, lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, and basically we're doing this so we don't spend like 10, 12, 15 minutes. <laughs> Summarizing 44 minutes. Since we have so many emails and so many communiques as a whole, uh, we should probably just get right into this. Because I don't want to edit a three-hour show in a matter of like one day, you know. Well, a day-ish. Oh, oh, before we do that, what yeah, the hell I, am I, I was going to say, you're, you're forgetting something, aren't you? <laughs> On Christmas Day, if you go to earth2.net, you will find a brand new episode of earth2.net, the show. It'll be episode 367, where James and myself will be joined by a special guest. I'm not going to reveal who that is right here, right now, to discuss the Wonder Woman direct-to-DVD feature film. It is a fantastic show. Amen, brother. Uh, I, I'm actually done editing it. It's actually all set and done, and I think it came out to be... Let me double-check. Uh, I want to say about an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, one hour 50 minutes, actually. It's so almost two hours. That was a... So, yeah, tune in to listen to that. And then in January, James and I will be joined by another guest, not the same guest who is with us for Wonder Woman, to talk about Green Lantern First Flight. We still don't have a date for that or an episode number. I'm thinking middle of the month, though. Could be later, though. 
but middle or late January. So yes, stay tuned. If you guys remember, last time I announced we have a brand new voicemail line that also accepts text messages, and we actually have a voicemail I want to play right here. Hey, guys. Uh, this is uh, Joe from Connecticut. Glad you guys set up a voicemail line. Uh, my, my email sucks right now. as does my entire Internet. But uh, anyway, I uh, want to say I've been listening since the very beginning of the show, and actually I am re-listening to all of the episodes uh, I just listened to, I forgot the number, uh, the episode where you guys reviewed Mask of the Phantasm. That is one of the best movies. It's, it's, it's neck to neck with, uh, Return of the Joker for me with, with best, best movie. Although I have one problem with it. It's a very small gripe, but it pulls me out of the movie constantly. That gripe would be, this, the new sound effect they used in the movie for the back grapple. It's very sci-fi sounding. The first time I heard it, it completely pulled me out of the movie. I, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it does not match the, it does not match anything else going on in it. Doesn't match any of the other sound effects. Doesn't even go with the animation, really. It's just horrible. And one other thing I wanted to say, I know you guys are very far away from getting to the end of Justice League, but uh, I've had this complaint since I first saw it, and because of it, I cannot watch the last two minutes of the final episode of Justice League Unlimited. I'm not going to say what it is for people who haven't seen it, but all I'm going to say is Batman would never do that. You guys have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, in the meantime, keep up the good work. I love this show. I can't wait for the next episode. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you, Joe. I'm going to have to go back and watch Mask of the Phantasm. Just pull my arm and force me to do it. Um, to, oh, yeah. To, to hear that, because I don't remember that. Who knows? Maybe we actually commented on it at the time. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I, I, at, the, at this moment right here, I just do not remember um, that. Do you, James? The, the uh, weird sci-fi sound effect? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and as it pertains to that thing that Batman did at the end of Justice League Unlimited, yeah, that's a little out of character, what he did. I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be with you. I won't, you know, I'll side with you, I should say. I won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it. But I got to say, I think what Superman does in there when he's fighting that person he's fighting is much more out of character, and I take great issue with. But you have to wait until, what is that, episode 98 of World's Finest Podcast, because 99 is, yeah, yeah, it'll be 98. So, you know, just hold off, hold off. So, uh, on top of the voicemail, we also received a few text messages, which I want to read off here. Um, of course, we don't know who, oh, no, no, I, this, at least one of these is signed. Never mind. I was going to say we didn't know who these were from because we just see phone numbers. But this first one is from our pal Steve Rogers, Captain America himself. And he says, how did Batman survive getting shot? Of course, he's talking about when the aliens apparently blasted him into a piece of Swiss cheese. He says, because he's fucking Batman. <laughs> I guess that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or because he's the goddamn Batman would have sufficed. Which I'm going to utter... <laughs> At least once in this episode of WFP. Just nice. you know. 
So thank you guys for the text messages and the voicemail. If you want to send us text messages or if you want to send in a voicemail, our feedback line is 731-WFP-WFP0. 731-937-9370. And now, as always, James will get into the emails. All righty. First one is from Eric, who writes, good day, guys. Now, if- First, I must say, I've been wanting to see Wonder Woman for a while now. I am a mythology fan and love the references. I have Wonder Woman TV series on DVD just because of the mythology. Green Lantern First Flight was a good film, but I felt that uh, David Boreanaz uh, made a better Green Lantern voice. And finally, someone else who didn't like the Transformers movie. I'm getting so tired of everyone making a big deal about alien robots. <laughs> I was a fan of the 80s cartoon, but just like you, Mike, I was a bigger G.I. Joe fan, mainly due to being a Sergeant Slaughter fan. Ah, nice. <laughs> the special effects are great, and there are some laughs, but having heartthrobs star in the film just because they are heartthrobs is annoying. It's like TV dramas. Disney killed the Power Rangers. Even now, I'll sit back and watch a team-up episode and feel like... Uh, They have just everything. The Power Rangers have been around since 1979 in Japan, and we got them in 1993. Wow, I thought it was even earlier than that. Uh, Saban might have been an asshole, but he knew how to market the series. They had awesome music by uh, Ron Wasserman, a.k.a. Mighty Raw, throughout that era. James, you're right. Even as a kid, I was putting my eyebrow up whenever the same footage of the dragon sword biting that pipe would play or the cheap production look. But like you, it was about the fighting. I watched those old episodes on YouTube and now enjoyed it for the music and the stories that they uh, they had that were interesting. I hope they don't destroy Marvel's reputation. And Japanese anime has never really grabbed me. Uh, Dragon Ball Z isn't something I'd be clamoring for, but I had no idea about the live-action Sailor Moon films. I used to watch that cartoon at 6 a.m. when I was a kid. The real Ghostbusters, TMNT, uh, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are two of my uh, childhood favorites. Time Life released a collector box set, and now they're re-releasing them in volumes. Are you guys going to be watching the Justice Society movie airing in January of Smallville? I know you guys don't really watch the show, but this will be the first ever live-action versions of Hawkman, Green Lantern, original version, and Stargirl. And they did a pretty good job adapting the live-action Wonder Twins, and with how dark the series is getting, especially with Major Zod, not yet General, being on Earth. Well, talk to you next week. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I'll tune in for that episode of Smallville. Move on, please. <laughs> I, know, I know absolutely fuck all about Smallville, so I probably won't be watching it anyway. Yeah, I mean, the trailer just looks really cool. My only fear is that... Nah, Jeff Johns is writing it, so the JSA will be in it for a good portion of it. I was going to say I was worried that they'll bring the JSA in for like two minutes. You know, just tease the audience through the various uh, commercials and trailers and then they're barely a part of the story but Jeff Johns won't do that so yeah yeah. no matter how good it is it won't get me to, wet, to watch excuse me the, uh, the, the rest of the season or the, the season 10 that's coming after that but uh, yeah I'll, I'll watch the movie alright next one is from Amir who writes hey guys long time listener first time emailer here's my question out of your favorite villains who would you like to see with their own TV show I would kind of like to see a Rachel Ghoul uh, or Red Hood Jason Todd TV show uh, keep up the good job and thank God for Justice League <laughs> now here's the problem when you make a villain the star of his own comic TV show or movie you gotta tone him down. You almost have to make him an anti-hero. I'm sure there's some people out there who could cite examples to the contrary, but those examples are few and far between. I mean, if you look at the X-Men in the 90s, when Sabretooth joined the team, 
I'm talking about the comic book, not the cartoon, obviously. He kind of became just Wolverine. He became sort of a good guy. I mean, he was still saber-toothed. He was still edgy and bad, but he wasn't saber-toothed bad as, as he was before. You know, whenever Mystique's been a good guy, she had to get toned down. Venom got toned down. You know, it just doesn't work that well. Now, if you could get away with not toning them down, I would go with um, Harley Quinn. Uh, she had her own comic for a while, and she, she kind of straddles the line where she could play the villain, she could play the anti-hero, she could play the bouncy sidekick, good or bad, to someone else. And uh, I think a Harley Quinn uh, t TV series, cartoon series, or live action, because I'd like to see someone in that costume, <clears throat> uh, would, be, uh, would be doable. Really, the only person I could think of would be Deadpool. That's even if you consider him a villain and not an anti-hero. I think he started out sort of as a bad guy, as a foil to Cable, and then he just became, an, as, as you said, an anti-hero. Um, he's, he's no longer a villain. He's a mercenary. He does get paid to kill people, but he's, he's definitely not a villain. But yeah, I, I want to say, I remember hearing something somewhere along the way where Deanie and Tim had proposed like a Harley Quinn, Catwoman, Poison Ivy series, which of course there's now a comic book with that concept called, um, Gotham City Sirens. I haven't read it, so I can't say how good it is, or, well, or not good, I don't know. And, you know, with that lineup, you could maybe make it work, but again, that's that's really only because Ivy's the only one who I would truly call a villain in there, at least when you stick with the DCAU. Yeah. You know, Harley Quinn, she, she's just a sidekick. You know, if the Joker decided to become a hero tomorrow, she'd become a hero, too. She's just going to follow his lead. Catwoman is just a Robin Hood, sort of. You know, steals from the rich, well, to make herself richer, I guess. <laughs> Occasionally <laughs> giving to the poor. and you know, Self-serving Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, Poison Ivy, of course, is a villain. Definitely is a villain. But um, maybe you could do a Gotham City mobster type deal. Mm -hmm. Like guys like, I don't know, Black Mask, Two-Face, and the like, like Salvatore Moroni. Is that his name, Salvatore? I think so, yeah. But, and you know, and the, and the like, maybe you could do that. Yeah, maybe it's it, like it'd be more like more like a uh, a cop drama sort of, but not focused really much on the on the police. Yeah, well, almost like the Sopranos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, do something like the Sopranos or the Shield, where the, again, you know, focus on maybe the guy's family lives, so you get to see them. You know, this is just a job for them; they have to do it to make money. Um, to stay alive in some regards, that that could definitely be definitely be doable. Yeah, you know, and and set it up like Gotham Central. So maybe we were focusing on the mobs and the cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Montoya and Gordon and all of them in there. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool. That'd be very cool. And if if you wanted, it could even be set pre year one, so Batman isn't there yet. Yeah. So the city's really just overrun with the mobsters and the corrupt police tweak it a little so that gordon is there so at least there's a familiar face because if you don't have batman and bruce wayne in gotham city you gotta have james gordon that would work really well and uh you could have two-face in there well not two-face but harvey dent and all the mobsters you mentioned yeah yeah that would that would that would be good yeah all i'm right. writing it in my head <laughs> <laughs>
remember, that show gets put on the air. We want our fucking royalty checks. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one is from Monica who writes, Hey, Mike and James, first email after a long time because I skipped the Static and Zeta era. But can you blame me? Anyway, I just listened to the podcast, and I pretty much agree with your uh, review of Secret Origins. Um, about the opening of the show, did you ever watch Harpy, uh, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law? That show was always making fun of the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but in the episode The Return of Bird Girl, they used the Justice League opening sequence for the Supreme Court. It was hilarious. Well, that's all. Keep up the good work. Happy holidays. P.S. I want a t-shirt that says Batman could beat up Jesus and is richer than God. <laughs> okay. I do, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're... I'm, I'm getting some Earth 2 WFP merchandise ready. Um, maybe that will be one of them. I, I doubt it because it'll say Batman on there and therefore we're making money off of yeah. a trademark owned by DC Comics. So probably won't happen, but maybe I'll tempt fate. We'll see. You could put he and then it'll just be kind of an in-joke. Yeah, that is true. That is true. As, as, far, as far as Harvey Birdman goes, yeah, I tried... I've tried to watch it as much as I can because I really do like the show. I especially like the ones where Lewis Black guest stars. No shock there. Mm-hmm. So. I yeah, good show. I've seen just clips of the program, and uh, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just never held my interest. So it just wasn't for me. Alrighty, next one is from Christian, who writes, Hey guys, I recently finished the two Justice League comics you recommended earlier, that being Tower of Babel and Alex Ross's Justice. Tower of Babel, for the most part, had great art, very clever ways devised by Batman to take out each member of the JLA, and it added Rachel Ghoul to my list of villains that I hate after mm-hmm. he stole the Wayne's bodies. Note, I hate the character in the same way one would grow to hate the Joker while watching Mad Love, rather than the way you guys hate characters like Livewire, Gossip Gertie, or a certain useless sidekick who has become the Voldemort of this show, in that no one likes to mention said person's name. Nice. <laughs> yes. Justice was awesome, and the artwork was breathtaking. I particularly liked the files from the Batcave at the end of each book on the members of the Justice League and the Legion of Doom. Still, I thought that I spotted a few plot holes. How did the Joker get out of Arkham? Why was he wearing a beard in the eighth issue? Or is that just Joker logic? <laughs> Can you recommend anything else with Alex Ross as the artist? Marvels, which is what put him on the scene. That book came out in like uh, 94, 95, somewhere around there. Uh, it was written by uh, Kurt Busiek. It's basically looking at the Marvel Universe uh, when it started up in the Silver Age. So it has a very retro feel to it, but that doesn't mean it's written with that kind of retro style. It just looks retro, that's all. Um, of course, Kingdom Come, uh, which he co-wrote with Mark Wade. Um, really good story, really good. Um, what else is he... Well, he's done a bunch of covers for a series called Astro City, but he does not do the interior artwork. Um, what else? He's done Uncle Sam, but I haven't read that. He he said he specifically wanted artwork, right? Um, anything, yeah, anything by Alex Ross, the artist. Yeah, because Ross is writing or co-plotting a whole bunch of stuff. Like, there was the whole Earth X, Universe X, Paradise X stuff, and where he designed the characters, but he didn't draw it. He just helped, you know, he just plotted that out. Um, he's doing the Project Superpower stuff now. You know, Ross really hasn't done a ton of interior work. It's mostly covers for him. So check out Marvels and Kingdom Come. 
And um, if you want to see what else he's done as an interior artist, because I'm sure there's other stuff I'm just forgetting right now, check out a website called ComicBookDB. Sort of like IMDB, but just ComicBookDB.com. And it's a great resource to look up, you know, comic books, creators, editors, just everything all around. You can you can look at their work chronologically. You can click on a title, and it'll uh, you know a little you know it'll it'll expand out, and you can see exactly all the ep- uh, all the episodes, all the issues they've done in a particular series. And uh, so yeah, look him up, look him up on there. Oh, what else? Oh, you know what? Something just popped in my head. There were those oversized Treasury Edition books, like Wonder Woman, Peace on Earth. Superman something or other, Batman War on Crime, but those are real hard to find. And they were huge. They were not thick, just like fucking huge in like in dimensions. Um, so if you could find those, maybe check those out too. Alrighty. Looking forward to your reviews of In Blackest Night, Enemy Below, and Injustice for All. The latter, though not perfect, is a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Happy Holidays, Christian. P.S. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen made the first film look like a masterpiece. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> Oh, we didn't answer the questions about the Joker's beard and the plot holes. You've read Justice. I haven't. Oh, Can you... I haven't read Justice in forever. Okay. I don't even okay. remember. I'm sorry. I can't answer that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, next email is from Tim. writes, hey, Mike and James, it has been announced that there will be a sequel to the Arkham Asylum game. Woo! And it will be taking place in Gotham City and that Two-Faced Penguin and Black Mask will appear in it. And this question is mainly addressed to James, as Mike has never played the game. You poor, poor man. No, no, no. I'm just a poor man. There's a difference. <laughs> well, well, maybe maybe that's a double entendre. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what other villains that were excluded in the first game would you like to see in the sequel, and what other features would you like in the game? I personally would like to see Rachel Ghoul, Hush, and Mr. Freeze, and I think it would also be cool if they had alternate bat suits from Adam West to Batman Beyond, excluding George Clooney, though I hate the bat nipples. And maybe even being able to play as Robin Nightwing, Catwoman, and Cassandra Kane Batgirl. If not play as them, at least interact with them, as none of them were even mentioned in the first one. And maybe come face-to-face with Riddler and Oracle, as we only ever heard their voices. And what are your hopes for this game? Okay, let's see. Villains? Um... Yes, Rachel Ghoul should be the main villain. I said this on the forums because I know uh, DW and I were talking about this in the thread for the Arkham Asylum 2 game. Uh, please don't have Joker be the main villain again. I love Joker, but yeah, he he can't be the main villain again. They just cannot do that. Yeah, Rachel Ghoul I think should be the main villain if they're if they're taking the grand scope of Gotham City into effect here. Hush would be all right, I guess. Uh, Mad Hatter needs to be in there somewhere. And this should come as a surprise to nobody. <laughs> Mr. Freeze, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess they can animate the freeze effect. All right, sure. You know, Black Mask is in there. That's great. Um, Two-Face and Penguin. I don't know. See, the, the, as far as they go, I don't know how you can have them be in there and have to fight them. I, I mean, I just, I just don't see how they're going to be able to do that. But I guess we'll find out because... You know, I love the first one. I'm sure they'll have some way of doing it and, and making me love it. Cassandra Kane Batgirl would be awesome if you got to play as her for, like, one level. And I think what they could do there is just have, since this is, we're, we're talking about the entirety of Gotham City, have each of the, the Bat family taking one part of the city, and you get to play as them in, like, chapters. Yeah. You switch from, like, Dick Grayson to Cassandra Kane to Tim Drake or whoever. That would be really cool, actually. And then, yeah, have Oracle actually be in the game as opposed to just her voice. 
I don't know. We'll see. This I think this thing is still in very early development, so we'll find out more as it comes along. I'm looking very much forward to it, though, as you can imagine. And uh, you know, of course, as has been said, I, I haven't played it. But what would be neat is as taking you know piggybacking off of your idea there is with each hero having their own section of the city is if maybe at some point in the game the the goal is to get them to converge in one spot and then from that point forward you get to choose which hero you want to use to finish out the game Ooh. so naturally like you start that. out with batman but then you switch over to maybe robin then nightwing then batgirl and uh, maybe throwing in a surprise or two along the way. And then when you hit that spot, you have to decide. And that, of course, affects playing style and could affect the outcome of the story. Because if you're the Cassandra Kane Batgirl, um, maybe the puzzles are harder because she's not the detective that Bruce Wayne or even Dick Grayson or hell, Tim Drake is. You know, as for villains, I would like to see in that one, again, having not played the first one, I would like to see he of the uh, Comforter of Insanity, Mr. Crazy Quilt himself. <laughs> Gotta put him in there. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, was Zaz in the first one? Yes. Okay, I was going to say, because if he wasn't, gotta throw him in there, too. Because, you know, I don't know much about that character, but I just think what little I do know is just really frightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of a throwaway, but he is actually in the game. So. Okay, cool. Hell, throw Deathstroke in there. That would be one hell of a intense fight, having, like, I don't know, maybe Cassandra Kane against Deathstroke. Yeah. yeah. Or Rose Wilson, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just something like that. But anyway, that's just my... Deathstroke fanboy isn't coming out there. Okay, P.S. Now that Marvel is owned by Disney, do you think we will see the final season of the 90s X-Men cartoon and actual box sets of the 90s Spider-Man? The four episode per disc releases piss me off to no end. Yes. Uh, I think the final season of X-Men is already out, isn't it? I don't I'm, know. I'm, I haven't been I'm following. Positive. I'm almost positive it is, but okay. I, maybe it's... Yeah, I haven't uh, been following those releases. It's one of those things where... You know, if I get a gift card to, like, Best Buy or Target, maybe I'll get them. But, you know, right now they're not at the top of my list to get, so I haven't been paying too much attention. But, yes, I definitely think we're going to see, uh, you know, if X-Men isn't finished, that finished up, and then Spider-Man for sure. Because people are clamoring for that. Put that shit out. All right, next one's from William, who writes, Feliz Navidad. So sad we're past static shock and onto the wretchedness of Justice League. <laughs> I kid, really. Anyway, on the subject of Hippolyta's hair, the Golden Age Hippolyta was a brunette like her daughter, but became blonde in the Silver Age. Post-crisis, when George Perez relaunched Wonder Woman, Hippolyta would become a brunette again, which would come in handy years later when Hippolyta was awesomely retconned as the Golden Age Wonder Woman during a time travel incident. This has been Will, your guide to the world of Wonder Woman fact. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Next one's from Steve. Writes, hey guys, heard an interesting analogy on a recent views from a long box podcast. The idea was that any DC cartoon prior to BTAS can be considered pre-crisis, while BTAS and all subsequent ones, presumably inclu including Crypto, Legion, and the two non-DCAU Batman series is a post-crisis situation. Thinking about it, it kind of makes sense that way. Thinking in terms of sensibilities of how cartoons, superhero or not, were done in both pre-1990s and since, cartoons are generally smarter than they were, almost like they understand that their audiences aren't just young kids, they have more depth of character, and in general, it really does seem like the difference in the DC universe between everything up to the Bronze Age and then everything since Crisis on Infinite Earths. Any thoughts on that? That's really good. I like that theory. Well, not theory, but analogy. You know, yeah, they're darker... Not all around, but 
you know, generally speaking, they're darker, they're more mature, they're smarter, as, as was said. You know, where you look at the older ones, they're really just there to just have fun, you know, campy fun, I should actually say. Yeah. And, you know, that's not all the Silver Age was about, but that's a lot of the Silver Age. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, next one is from Tony, who writes, Hey, guys, I was just wondering if I could get each of your lists for the top five favorite lines in the entire DCAU. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that that's not, I can tell you right now, that's not coming in this uh, episode. No. But that will definitely be something we look at uh, towards the end of WFP's timeline. Yes. Considering this show was going to, I've said it before, but considering this show was supposed to, it was, it was starting out as what, like a joint column or something about our top favorite episodes or moments or something, and mm-hmm. then it spun out into this. So, yeah, I think to honor the genesis of this program in the last episode, we have to do a couple of lists like that one that was just suggested. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I've, I have, I still have the original Private messages we sent oh, each good, other. Oh, good, because I don't. So yeah, yeah, I I will never delete those <laughs> because they they will be going into a uh, one of my column series that I'm going to do at the very end of WFP, either the week after WFP ends or during the week WFP ends. I'll be doing several columns about. It's going to be a bunch of top ten lists, think like uh, things you may not know about WFP type stuff. You know, just goofy shit like that. But it'll it'll be nice, and that'll definitely be one of the things I throw in there. Uh, my own personal favorite lines would probably be five, uh, no, starting with number five, Gentlemen, It's Been an Honor from Starcross Part 3. Absolutely, that's a, gr- that's a great one. Number four, That's Who I Am from Father's Day. <laughs> number three, You Don't Get It, Son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table, and I'm the surgeon from Legends of the Dark Knight. <laughs> See, I, you almost can't count that one because that's, I believe that's taken verbatim from um, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. So, yeah, I don't think... Technically, that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, two, if you don't like the movie, I've got, how about some slides from Return of the Joker? And one, I threw a rock at him. Yeah, that better be number one. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, way back when you reviewed Christmas with the Joker, was that episode the first time we were ever introduced to the infamous Jingle Bells Batman Smell song? If so, then doesn't the episode at least deserve recognition for that? On that note, Merry Christmas. No, not at all. That was a jingle we would chime on on the playground when i was a kid i'm almost 32 and i remember singing that when i was like six or seven so we're talking 84 85 ish and it definitely even predates that so no no not at all do you think that maybe you got it start on the adam west show um i don't know i mean i don't know i'm just throwing it out there because i've watched hardly any of the adam west shows so yeah, I mean, I've probably seen all of the Adam West shows, just because I grew, I didn't grow up in the 60s, obviously, but it was, you know, it was constantly on rotation on, on TV here in Chicago, so I've seen most of them, and I don't remember that ever used in there, but that's not saying it wasn't at the same time, but uh, I don't know if anybody actually does know the origins of that jingle, write in and let us know, I would be interested in that. Also, what did you guys think of Zack Snyder's Watchmen? I personally love the film, especially the uh, ultimate cut that includes the animate Black Freighter film woven into it. I wasn't very high on it, truthfully. Um, I I can't remember all that much about it. I loved uh, the guy who played Rorschach. Yeah. Uh, What is his name? Haley Joel? Is that it? Oh, what the hell is he? He's the new Freddy Krueger. What the hell is his name? Uh, Keep going. I'll look it up. 
from what little I remember, I wasn't exactly high on the movie. I didn't hate it, but I didn't really like it either. What about you? Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, Jackie Earl Haley. That's it. Um, I thought he was he was great as as Rorschach. Um, he was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, you know, that movie as a whole, though, I liked it. I did. Um, I think Zack Snyder proved everybody wrong um, when they, you know, everybody always said Watchmen was the unfilmable comic book movie, and he did it. Do I think it maybe should have been a 12 or 13 part series on Showtime or HBO? Yeah, I do. But it wouldn't have had the budget that it had. And I think a lot of the changes that Snyder made to the story, they they worked better. Without spoiling the end of Watchmen, the movie or the comic book, I actually prefer his ending better. I get what Alan Moore was doing in his original when it comes to the big plan, but the movie version just makes so much more sense to me. You know, it has its flaws in that um, that sex scene just goes on way too long. I like seeing her naked body. I don't know the actress's name, but it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it does get a little <laughs> pornographic, I will admit. But uh, it was good. I, I haven't seen, like, the ultimate super director's cut with everything integrated back into it. But, uh, you know, if I, again, if I ever have some extra cash or some gift cards, maybe I'll pick that up and, you know, spend a weekend watching that whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. By the way, I encourage both of you to go to YouTube and watch a short animated film called Saturday Morning Watchmen. It is basically a look at Mm -hmm. what would have happened in if someone had gotten the rights to the graphic novel back in the 80s and decided to make a children's cartoon show out of it, much like what they did with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Trust me, it's hilarious. It is, it is. Uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, I almost called him the Martian Manhunter because that's who he was based on. Um, what is his name? The blue guy. Ah, Doc. Oh, Doc. Dr. Doc, Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan. Jesus, sorry. I totally had a brain fart there. Uh, that scene with him turning into the car, that's that's funny. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you seen I'll take that? Your- no, I've oh, never seen seen go go look it up. It's really funny. Another email from Tim here writes, Mike and James, it's Tim again. I was browsing the DCAU wiki, and I noticed on the side they have a section for lists. One of the lists is of Wonder Woman exclamations and the episodes and context in which they were used. In the entire JL, JLU timeline, she says Hera or something of the equivalent 20 times. No, decided- no, that's 20 times an episode. You misread that. <laughs> oh, of course <laughs> I decided I would save you the trouble. Here is a link to the page. You can read them all off the air if you want or not. It's up to you guys. Adios, Tim. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> thanks thanks yes. a lot. Because, you know, I'd love to keep track of those, but I just I just don't see us doing that. So, hey, I'm glad someone else uh, not only compiled the list, but pointed us to it. Are you ready to call your first witness? I am, my lord. I call Kanjaro. Kanjaro. You agree to let us probe and display any and all memories you have? I got nothing to hide. State your name and profession. Kanjaro. I'm a pirate. A criminal? Yet you come here to bear witness to another crime. Why? I may steal things, but it's nothing compared to what he did. Tell us about your encounter with John Stewart. 
It all started with these blasters I found. I was on my way to sell them to some rebels on a Joris Four. That's when he showed up. I figured he was going to try to stop me, so I shot first. His ring tore out my engine. <laughs> but he still wasn't done with me. He wanted to know if I was working with anyone. I told him to turn around, see for himself. He tried to shoot my friends, but his beam bounced off their deflector shield and shot toward the Joris Four. There, it hit a volcanic fault line, starting a devastating chain reaction. Three billion. That's how many were on that planet. I have no more questions. Alrighty, first up today is in Blackest Night. And starting with episode one, we open up on the planet Ajuris 5, where a tribunal has come together to seek justice on what we're made to assume is some horrible intergalactic criminal. Well, it turns out that the accused is not present, so the tribunal calls forth the Nazi bots, or I'm sorry, the uh, Manhunters, a squad of robots who are apparently quite good at capturing renegades throughout the cosmos, and their target is one John Stewart, the Green Lantern. Credits roll, we come back, and we see John walking down the street in his old neighborhood, which I have to assume is Harlem, or the DCAU, uh, DCAU equivalent. Mm -hmm. Um he stops a guy from robbing a deli or something with his power ring, and he comes across a basketball court where he meets up with his old grade school history teacher. Uh, he, The teacher reveals that John has been away from this neighborhood for quite some time. So we go aboard the watchtower and flas uh, Flask... Flask. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Flash asks a hot girl about her life on Thanagar, flirting it up with her big time. <laughs> Yeah, and he ends up saying something really, really unintentionally insensitive to Jean uh, when suddenly an alarm sounds, and Jean says it's an incursion heading straight for Earth, and I wonder what an incursion of three robots is supposed to be, but... Yeah, uh, well, what do they say? They say something like, ah, oh, I forget what they say, but then when Flash looks at it, he goes, it's more like an invasion! It's of like, three robots? Yeah, really? Like, really? That's... That... What the fuck? That's a vacation. That's a picnic. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're just sightseeing. That's all. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so it's three of the Manhunter robots, and they fly towards the planet. Uh, so Hawkgirl, Flash, and Sean get into one of the javelins. and uh... <laughs> Hawkgirl, Flash, and John. I just I heard Hawkgirl, Flash, is John. <laughs> Nice. Sorry. Very nice. Oh, uh, sorry. Okay, I'm going to have to make sure I enunciate better when those three are together. <laughs> no, I'm sure you said it. I'm sure you did. It's just the way I heard it. That's all. <laughs> and, of course, with her later relationship with John Stewart, not Jones, you know, hey, man, she flashed John. <laughs> Many times, I'll bet. Uh-huh. Anyway, back uh -huh. in Stewart's neighborhood, uh, John... Uh, John's teacher notices something is up with him, and he now, now I have this image of her using her wings to like hide her nakedness and being all sultry with him. Whoa, whoa, Jesus! Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> oh God! The Manhunters start marching down the street. 
and the three heroes from earlier show up and de- demand to know what they want. And the leader says they're here for Jon Stewart, but they refuse to answer why they want him. So the heroes attack, but the robots are much too well organized to be taken down. Uh, they make their way down the street as Hawk Girl is taken down for about the 47th time. And they prepare to finish her off this time, but Superman shows up and takes down a couple of the robots. Well, eventually there's a standoff after dozens of cars and buildings are damaged and uh, GL steps in to stop the fight before more people are hurt. And he walks straight up to the Manhunters, and in a very shocking display, he just hands his power ring to them and agrees to be taken prisoner. So the League is standing there in utter shock uh, at what's going down as uh, GL is teleported with the Manhunters into space. And we go back to a Juris 5, where GL is shown to the crowd of very angry aliens. And on Oa, the GL, uh, the Green Lantern Corps uh, is discussing the Jon Stewart issue, watching it on their giant orb thing. And Stewart is led in front of a gathering of Green Lanterns who are just utterly disgusted with him. He was the best of us. You're a disgrace. Ugh, fuck these guys. Seriously. One of the Manhunters pushes into one of the Green Lanterns and... The guy, in return, calls him a stupid robot for doing so. And the robot, who apparently has his feelings hurt, turns around <laughs> and to blast him, but the leader of the Manhunter Squadron stops him and says, Not yet. So they walk away. The League, uh, Meanwhile, the League figures out where Green, uh, Green Lantern is, and they travel there and are promptly attacked by uh, several ships. Hot Girl, Soups, and Jean take out the ships and the soldiers controlling him. And they make their way to the trial where Stuart is the accused. Uh, of all things, a pirate is the first witness against uh, John. Only witness. And yeah. And he says that Stuart, while trying to stop him from selling illegal weapons to rebels on a Juris 4, shot at one of his buddy's ships. The blast ricocheted off their deflector shield, hit a volcanic fault line on a Juris 4, and caused a massive chain reaction that destroyed the entire planet. At a recess, uh, Stuart tells the League that he wasn't lying. He is guilty. And this is where episode one ends. Yeah. So what are you thinking so far? I fucking hate this episode. Yeah, I'm not exactly high on it either, but I don't think I hate it as much as you do. But go ahead. It. Okay, I understand what they were doing here. You know, they wanted, you know, they needed to establish uh, John Stewart. Because most of the people that were watching this had no clue who he was. This was pre-Green Lantern Rebirth, so anybody who was reading the comics was mostly going to be familiar with Kyle. Or if they knew the old cartoons, then they were familiar with Hal Jordan. So this going to be like, who's this new guy? So, you know, they're trying to make him appealing to the audience, uh, especially the young audience, by... You know, having him walk down the street in his badass shades and his coat, set to this, what's supposed to be cool, you know, kind of mellow music. But it just comes off so phony that it just does not work for me on any level. And, you know, once John starts going about his business in the town and, you know, once he's put on trial... He just comes off like a colossal douchebag. And I just seriously hate him. I mean, I'm glad I know how he turns out in the rest of the series, that he ends up becoming a very strong, very good character that I like a lot. But, oh, if this would have been my first exposure to him, I would have been turned off on him. 
Yeah, pretty much the same feelings as you. Um, I have there's a kind of a plot hole here. Jean says that he's unable to make telepathic contact with Stuart, and he's just walking down the street. So how the fuck did he contact him in Secret Origins? <laughs> how did he contact him across space? Exactly. Later on in this episode. Was, yeah, he says he was like a Rigel 9 or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Though, to be fair, I'm not entirely sure he said telepathic contact in this one. I think he just said, I can't get in contact with him. So maybe he wasn't answering his communicator. Yeah. Oh, did you notice Red Foreman was the voice of the prosecutor? Yes, yes he was. And uh, the pirate, uh, that's Kanjar Rowe, uh, was the actor who played Odo on Deep Space Nine, I believe. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That is. But yeah, having uh, Red Foreman as the prosecutor, nice. Very nice. I think he was one of the Owens, one of the Guardians, too. He might have been. I, yeah. There were, I know in a couple episodes that we're discussing today, the actors took on several roles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I gotta tell you, I really don't have many more notes for this <laughs> first part. It's just, yeah, it's it's not one I enjoy or would ever go back and watch again if it weren't for us reviewing it today. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're trying to set up this this deep mystery as to what John Stewart may have done and it's just all padded out with this fight with the manhunters and then you know he goes away with them leave me alone I'm going with them we have to give chase Superman says you know and then they finally get there and we get the reveal and it's like okay this whole episode really could have been about five minutes of another episode. (laughs) It did not need to be its own episode. Again, yes, I know they're trying to set up Green Lantern, this Green Lantern, that is, so they tried to show where he came from, you know, and and his personality, but it just didn't work. And I really have to call into question John's character, if you want the truth. He feels bad about what he did because he thinks he's killed billions of people. He's willing to go with the Manhunters to the point where he turns his ring over. Then why didn't he turn himself in to begin with? Why did he go back to Earth to saunter down the street and look at his hometown and hang out with his history professor and his grandson and play basketball? Like, what the fuck was that? If you were feeling so bad, you would have went to the Owens and said, oh my God, I totally screwed up. You guys... You know, I'm sorry. You have to punish me for this. It just, it just didn't ring true with with him feeling guilty and willingly going with the Manhunters. But what? Yeah, it didn't work for me. Didn't work for me. Here's here's what I don't understand. Um, The the whole thing with Stuart blasting that planet into oblivion was completely made up. Mm -hmm. Now. Was that holographic projector thing that we're about to discuss in episode two uh, screwing with John while he was fighting the pirates? Yes. Okay, I was just making sure because the, the thing that what happens is they scan the pirate's memory, mm-hmm. and that's what what he sees. But if it's an illusion, I, I mean, I just I don't know. It's just really kind of goofy to me. It is. Yeah, I mean they. <sighs> You know, because he's in on the lie, he could maybe imagine that's the way it happened. But it is a bit of a problem, isn't it? Yep. You know, I have a problem with him even knowing what happened. 
okay, he knows that GL shot the beam and it supposedly ricocheted off one of the spaceships, but how does he know that the beam hit a volcanic fault line and destroyed the planet? Who told him? The survivors? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how is he going to look hundreds of hundreds, maybe thousands of miles down under the surface of this planet? He was up in space. Yeah, exactly. But he knows that it hit a volcanic fault line, and that's why the planet went kablooey. You know, I mean, granted, he is lying. I get that. But at the same time, someone should have been like, um, how do you know that? And again, that, that thus making this episode, okay, now it's seven minutes long, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when and where did the Justice League get a warp drive? If you think about it, the, the Javelin has to have some sort of warp capacity if it's making it from Earth's orbit to whatever the hell this planet is. It does in a later episode, I know. So no, that's what I'm saying. Like, where did they get this? Because no one else on Earth has warp, not as far as we know. So, you know, why aren't they sharing that shit? <laughs> Maybe uh, it's a apocalyptonian or apocalyptic <laughs> uh, technology. And hey, that, that's okay. That's understandable. You know, if, if you can come up with a reason for it being there, that's true. Though I would suggest they would use boom tubes then. But okay, okay. <laughs> um, Okay, here we go. They they get there, and their ship starts getting fired on, and Superman stops Hawkgirl from destroying the ships with the Javelin's, like, defenses. He's like, we're not here to start a war. Then why do they fly out of the ship and punch the ships? Oh, no, no, can't shoot the rockets at it, but let's hit it with our maces and our super fists. <laughs> You're like, what is that? Though I did like that moment when Hawkgirl hits the ship real hard and it goes down and Superman's like, Hawkgirl! And she's like, what? And she sees it falling towards the city and she's just like, oh. <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. That was good. You know, I will say something I liked about this episode. Beyond the that moment with Hawkgirl. One of the aliens sitting in the gallery of the courtroom was, I don't know if you picked up on this, he was a tree that had white squirrels for eyes. Huh. I'm not kidding. It's a crazy funny design. Go back and watch it again. It's uh, when it's bef it's when they're summoning the Manhunters. There's this one thing looks so like it's he's, right at the beginning. Yeah, it looks like he's made a bark, and it, it, there's these two white things poking out of his eye holes, and they look like albino squirrels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's a great design. But a nice segue here for myself. Uh, bad designs. I have to say, those other Green Lanterns look terrible. Yeah. Kilowog is all off. Uh, chubby ping pong ball guy is all off. Um, the guy with the with the Abe Lincoln beard, he just looked bad. I thought their voices were terrible. Bird, bird Lantern. Yeah, I, I know his name too, and I cannot remember it right now. But the guy with the fin, right? I know, I know. Tom DJ is listening, going, "That's so and so, and that's so and so." Damn you guys! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, those they really screwed up those designs. I felt and the voices. None of it, none of it worked out for me. Yeah, yeah. The the, the first part of this is just bad. Just ass. Yes, it is, and it doesn't really pick up for the back half. But uh, uh, unless you have anything else to say about the first half, why don't you? Uh, synopsize the second half here okay so we pick it up in episode two superman for some reason is unconvinced that Stuart is guilty but i, I guess it's because the pirate is just not a reliable witness yeah <laughs> so i guess i completely contradicted myself there so i'll just keep going yeah uh, so, so anyway he and jean fly off to the i guess quote-unquote scene of the crime where flash 
uh, while Flash is bumbling around trying to buy some time at the trial. Um, Hot Girl, in the meantime, sneaks off to confront the other Lanterns, who have just completely abandoned John as their friend and fellow soldier. So she beats the crap out of them. <laughs> uh, except for Kilowog, who just sits in the background drinking. That was hilarious. I will absolutely give this episode that. Finally, Kilowog stops the fight and agrees with Shaira that, you know what, John is our friend, and we should try to help him any way we can. So while Hot Girl and Kilowog fly off toward the trial, Hot Girl sees the pirate secretly talking with a manhunter in an alley. Flash continues to make a fool out of himself at the trial, until finally the judges say, enough with this shit. Kilowog shows up as a surprise witness to further stall things. But meanwhile in space, Superman and Sean land on Ajuris 4's moon, and Superman says, what's wrong with this picture, Jean? And Jean's like, it can't be. Uh, so they, he puts the pieces together. How could the moon still be in orbit if there's no planet for it to orbit? The moon would have flown off into space if the planet had been annihilated. Right. So therefore, Ajuris 4 was never destroyed. It's got to be there somewhere. Uh, they figure there's got to be some illusion work going on here. So meanwhile, we go back to Ajuris 5, where Kilowog is testifying as a character witness, but the prosecutor easily makes him look like a fool, and then makes the entire Green Lantern Corps look bad when suddenly... Speak of the devils, the Guardians show up at the proceedings. Uh, we go back to Ajuris 4's moon. Jean finds a massive structure built into the satellite that uh, he says resembles a toy that Martian children used to play with, <laughs> where it would project crude images over large areas and make illusions. And this is just a gargantuan version of it. Suddenly, uh, space pirate Slappy appears, and he tries to bury them in a canyon, but Hawkgirl shows up in a stolen Ajuris police ship and shoots him down. And Hawkgirl says that he is not the one behind this whole scam. He's just a pawn in it. And we go back to Juris 5, where uh, the leader of the Manhunters has a group of uh, fellow Manhunters gathered together, saying that they will finally be able to exact revenge on the Guardians. And we go back to the trial, and the head Guardian explains uh, the Green Lantern autonomy principle. But the prosecutor again succeeds in making them look really, really bad. So... The judge, the judges convene for about eight seconds, and they sentence John and Flash to death, because apparently, if you're a lawyer and you defend somebody unsuccessfully, then you go, you go bye bye too. And so they're encased in this chamber that's filled with some kind of deadly gas. And suddenly, Superman and John show up and burst through the exact same hole that they burst through earlier, and they save them. Uh, Hot girl destroys the illusion projector, and a Juris 4 reappears in the sky above them. Uh, John's name is cleared, and he attacks the pirate, who reveals that he did it for Manhunter, uh, for the money of the Manhunters, and the whole thing was a scheme to draw the Guardians away from Oa. So the Guardians tell John that the Manhunters have returned to Oa to take it back. They revealed that you know, they built them a long time ago, but because they couldn't tell the subtleties between good and evil, uh, the Guardians had to reprogram them. Well, Manhunters did not appreciate being made to do menial tasks, so they bided their time uh, waiting to regain their original power. So we go to Oa, and the entire planet is under siege. Uh, the Guardians are being overpowered by the massive numbers of Manhunters, and eventually the leader of them makes his way into the central power battery, goes inside of it, and absorbs the whole thing into himself and becomes just a living entity of the lantern energy. It siphons all the Green Lantern's power ring power away, and that from the Guardians, so they start to die. Uh, John Stewart is there, however, and he recites the Green Lantern oath and absorbs the entire gigantic thing into his ring, blasts it away into oblivion. 
the Guardians awaken from their comas. They thank Stuart for saving the day. John rebukes the Green Lantern Corps for doubting him, and he thanks his friends in the League for believing in him, and they go home. <sighs> oh, sorry. Oh. Pretty much. Now, here's the thing. I think this story suffers from the Batman Returns Syndrome. That being, the main plot was revealed way too fucking late. Oh, yeah. It was, it was rushed through and then fixed in, like, I don't know, six minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that. It's probably less time than that. The big bad Manhunter leader jumps into the power battery, and it takes all of 60 seconds for John to figure out a way to beat him. Yep. He doesn't break out of the battery and stomp around this planet, and John then figures out what to do. It's like, ha ha ha, I'm evil! No, you're not! And then he's dead. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to keep from spitting water all over my laptop. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's okay. And here's the thing. I can understand John being a dick to the rest of the Green Lantern Corps, but for fuck's sake, Kilowog stood up for him. He yeah. have, all he could have, did, uh, have done was say, thanks, Kilowog, and walked away. That's all he had to do. Exactly. And he didn't. Exactly. Like, th- like he thanks Kilowog. The others start to apologize, try to bring him back into the fold, and as you said, he just ignores them. Yeah, yeah that's there, all you have to do. Yeah, there was no need to be a jerk to Kilowog. <laughs> I don't know. And... How did the Guardians get back to Oa before the Manhunters? The man I mean the Guardians are standing there talking to the Justice League on Ajuris five. We go to Oa, it's under the whole planet is on is on it's in complete chaos, and there are the Guardians inside the power battery with their shield up. You know what? It might not I mean there's more Guardians than the ones we saw. So oh, yeah, that right. could have been you know, the Guardians were split, so their powers were in defending the planet and the power battery were then diminished. So that's what I'll go with. Yeah. <sighs> that pretty much sums up my feelings. I mean, it's just ridiculous. What, a giant hollow projector is hiding a planet? Really? They didn't send up any scientists or rockets or probes or satellites to, I don't know, study this new asteroid belt? that had formed thanks to the destruction of the planet and happened to go, wait a minute, it's still here. And are you telling me that this society that has this, not robotic, but this hollow tribunal and floaty devices and all these other things, none of them are smart enough to look up in the sky and go, that moon shouldn't be there. (laughs) It, It takes some earthling and, oh, not even, a Kryptonian and a Martian to show up and go, that moon shouldn't be there. I mean, seriously. Seriously, of all the billions of people on that planet, no one thinks of it. Lame. Lame. There was something I was going to say about the trial and how very American it is and how, why it would possibly be like that. But how, how do you mean that it was American? Well, it's, it's you know, it's uh, the trial structure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got prosecutor and you got your def- – I mean, you don't really have a defense. I mean, yeah. But they know, they know what lawyers are. Yeah. So – it's just it's just silly, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that whole trial system was just a farce, too, with everybody just showing up left and right. No, I gotta speak up, speak about John's character. Oh, no, no, I got new evidence. It's like the trials don't work that way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's not how it works. You would be thrown into jail for doing something like that. Contempt oh. of court. Yes, exactly. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, are we to assume that Hawkgirl's space outfit she got from the Javelin? 
If not, where the hell did she find one that had wings? And haven't we seen her fly around in space without an outfit like that before? I'm trying to think back to Static Shock, the episode that with the Brainiac. I think she was wearing it. Okay, well... Okay, well, something I know is a mistake, and I hope you caught it. But if you didn't, you have to go back and watch. But it's it's after the big reveal has been made. I don't remember exactly when, though. There's a point when... John moves his, John Stewart, that is, turns his head a little. Maybe he just brings it down to look down at someone. And all of a sudden, he has three eyes. Are you fucking kidding me? His left, our right side of the screen, uh, <laughs> he looks down, and that eye goes, looks down too, but they didn't, they, they screwed up, and I, I, I can't exactly explain what they did, but it's like one eye moves down, but they still left one in his socket. So there's one on his cheek and one in his socket. <laughs> and then, of course, his other eye. It, it, it's it's a blink and you miss it. It's on the screen long enough to notice, but if you do blink, you will miss it at the same time. Yeah, I probably missed it because I was writing my summary. That's all I can think. Okay, and I, I checked it. I double. I wanted to make sure it wasn't just like a temporary glitch with like my DVD. No, I went back, and it, it, it happened both times I tried it out. It's terrible. Uh-huh. I mean, and that, that just sums up this whole episode. And, oh, it's from start to finish. This is just bad. So bad. And again, I, I commend them for trying to put the Green Lantern over, but come on, do it better. I say the surface dwellers are barbarians. They sail their weapons across our seas and pollute our oceans with their garbage. There's only one way to ensure Atlantis' safety, and my troops are prepared to take action. What sort of action? We have the technology to wipe them off the face of the Earth. Just give the order. General Brack, I decide policy here, not you. But how much longer must we endure these affronts? Surely you realize that now is the perfect time Hold to... your tongue, Brack. Your king has spoken. Forgive me, Lord Orm. General Brack, I will consider your counsel, but this is a most serious matter. I must give it more thought. In the first part of The Enemy Below, uh, the episode starts out with a nuclear submarine uh, doing its submarine thing, and it's suddenly attacked by, I wouldn't call it a submarine, but I guess it would be a submarine. It just doesn't look like a submarine. Some underwater craft. Oh, yeah, an underwater, sorry, sorry. I'm channeling Ian and Dam. Sorry, I'm going to do it throughout this whole episode. Go listen to for your ears only, people. You'll you'll get the joke. It's by Ian Wilson. You'll love it. He's a genuine Brit. But anyways, the 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 sub is attacked and it ends up um, getting marooned. I guess would be the term at the bottom of the ocean. Here, they send out a distress call, and the Justice League responds. Right, but the, does the government try to respond too, or just the Justice League? No, just the Justice League. Okay, yeah, the Justice League, they show up in the Javelin, because, of course, it can be a submarine, too, I guess. And, uh, you know, they, they, they want to save the crew, but they also need to get that submarine out of there because it is nuclear. These Atlantean forces give chase, uh, start shooting at them, and uh, uh, eventually Superman confronts the, the king of Atlantis, that being Aquaman. And he tells him, he's like, look... 
we don't want trouble down here. We really don't. We just want to save the lives of these men. And Aquaman says, okay, you can have the men, but the sub stays. And Green Lantern's like, no, that sub's nuclear. It's coming with us. And Aquaman's like, yeah, well, tough titties, because the sub stays. So the superheroes, they, they have to abide by this. They have to save these guys, because the sub's flooding. They're running out of oxygen. They're screwed. So they get, they start getting the guys out of there. But before the Justice League leaves the scene, Superman tells uh, Aquaman, he says, look, you know, go to the World Assembly, express your grievances, because the whole thing is Aquaman, he's, he's upset, and all his people are upset that we, the surface dwellers, are polluting the oceans, their kingdom. And uh, Superman's like, yeah, go to the World Assembly and express your grievances. And he's like, what, I'm supposed to grovel like, like, a, like a beggar, like a peasant? He's like, no, uh, what does he say, uh, address them as a king? I think is what yeah. he says. Stand before them as a king. Right, yeah. So before he goes there, or maybe around about the same time, I don't remember, the League's discussing the submarine, and Giel's like, we have to go get that. And for whatever reason, the rest of the League's like, no, 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 we, we got to leave it. Aquaman said, you know, they wouldn't strip mine or whatever. And Giel ain't having any of this shit. So he goes down there, and he sees it being taken apart, that the plutonium is being taken out. And he goes back to tell his cohorts, cohorts, I should say. Well, in the meantime, Aquaman uh, shows up on the surface world. Um, he's walking down the street. Cars are nearly hitting him. He, he roughs up a police officer uh, just to find out where the World Assembly is. And when he gets there, he makes his demands. I don't think we ever actually hear his demands. Um, just everybody in the World Assembly is like, this is an outrage! And they're banging their shoes and all this and that. <laughs> Superman then shows up. And uh, I don't know. He's basically telling Aquaman. What, what does he even say to Aquaman? I don't even know. The League just shows up and they talk. I don't even remember what they said. Negotiations take time. Yeah. Stuff like if that. I was Aquaman, I just would have smacked Superman and been like, you told me to fucking do this. Now you're telling me I'm doing it wrong. You failed, not me. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> anyways, um, Aquaman is leaving the World Assembly. And uh, Sniper tries to blow him up. This is all still in part one, right? <laughs> Correct. Okay, yep. okay. Aquaman's knocked out. He's taken to the hospital by the League, but the doctors, they don't know what to do with him. He doesn't have the same physiology that we do. Well, Batman shows up and says, um, he's a fish. Put him in salt water. So they put him in the Bacta tank, and within five minutes, not even, uh, Aquaman's A-OK, and he wants to go back to his kingdom. And uh, what do you call it? The League. They, uh, they're like, no, no, no. Something's fishy, no pun intended, about this whole thing. Um, we have to draw out this sniper. So um, they, they set it up. So they're pretending that they're going to be transferring John out of the hospital. Uh, because they, John, excuse me, whoops, I gave away <laughs> what happens as if they're transferring <laughs> Arthur Aquaman out of the hospital. Uh, the sniper does try to attack again. Uh, it turns out that the Aquaman that was on the gurney was actually John Jones using a shape-shifting power. Um, they give chase uh, to the sniper. Um, eventually he stopped. It turns out that it is Deadshot, uh, voiced by Michael Rosenbaum. By the way, does he do Deadshot later on in the series too? Yep. Okay, I thought so. I thought so. And um, 
you know, he's not revealing anything. Well, Batman takes him aside and gives him a word of advice. <laughs> we don't exactly know what that is, though. But uh, he's like, okay, I'll talk, I'll talk. And they're like... Such a badass moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're like, okay, well, who hired you? He's like, look, I don't know. And they're like, that's not good enough. Well, I think it's Superman looks over at his crashed vehicle, at Deadshot's crashed vehicle, and he sees all these, uh, like, gold doubloons. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who would pay a mercenary in gold doubloons but someone who had gold doubloons? And that would be an Atlantean. Um, at this point, I think Aquaman is head back to his city, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Does he actually see Deadshot get caught, though? I don't think so. No, he doesn't. He was in the room with... GL and he just punches GL right. right in the face. Yeah, that's right. They weren't letting him out of the room. So when he goes back to his citadel, it turns out that his brother Orm um, has taken control of the city, uh, or of Atlantis, of the nation. I shouldn't say it's a city. Has uh, taken control of the kingdom, and he has Aquaman arrested and imprisoned as a traitor to the crown, or to the state, to the nation, to the country, whatever, because he refuses to go to war with the surface world. That's part one. Thoughts? I don't really have a grade for this entire episode, yeah. so um, it's certainly better than the last episode. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and I'll, I, I have to say, one reason is because Batman is involved. <laughs> I mean, that really, that is the first of many utterly badass Batman moments in the Justice League era. It's kind of funny. Kevin Conroy said in an interview that the words he whispered in the recording studio were, I know where you live. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I guess that might, you know, make somebody shit their pants and reveal their secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if it would make Deadshot do that but maybe who knows mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> I, I i liked it so far because it, i think it's a good setup episode for the real real shit that's going to go down in early in the next episode uh, i think it did set up things nicely i think it they gave uh aquaman a, a a definitive character he's you know he's an asshole but he he really has a reason to be so far i think it's it's pretty solid and I just have this funny note here. Did you, if you look in the background when Superman is electrocuted by a manhole cover, did you notice something? Mm -mm. There's a sheet of production notes on the wall of the alleyway. What? It, it says something about the color and diffusion of, uh, of the color and the diffusion effect of Aquaman's trident. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I am not good. joking. You, you have to look. That? You have to pause it at just the right moment, and then you have to look really closely, but you can make it out. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's there yeah. at all. I don't know. I mean, they would have to have animated that into the <laughs> thing. I don't know if that was just kind of an Easter egg thing they were throwing in there for the hell of it. Uh -huh. It was just so weird, but it was kind of funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I don't know. What, what were you thinking about this? Um, as you said, it's, it's a good setup for what's to come. I'm not crazy about the setup. The second part, I, I like much more. But um, they definitely put a lot in here. Again, a sub crashes. The Justice League comes in to, to, to save the guys, but the sub has to stay. There's turmoil in Atlantis between Orm and Arthur. Has he ever actually been called Arthur by anybody? No, he's never called yeah. Arthur. But... I wasn't keen on that. It's like, it's his name. Yeah. Are you seriously going to go to his kingdom and be like, hey, Aquaman, they're all Aquaman. You know? Yeah, and how did all these people know his 
you know, code name is supposed to be Aquaman. Even the, the reporters and shit know this. Yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't keen on that. But, you know, so they set that up. And then, you know, he goes to the World Assembly. And then there's an assassination attempt. And then Batman heals him with salt water because this is Splash, apparently. And, and then, you know, Deadshot comes back. And Batman whispers at him. And then the ending happens. And it's like, whoa. I mean, there really is a whole lot crammed into these 22 minutes. It's just, I felt like it was kind of, like, overstuffed, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, there was yeah. a little too much going on. Almost as if this should have been, like, a three-part story. But at the same time, I don't know if this could have supported a three-part story. So maybe a two-and-a-half-part story. <laughs> yeah, it's in that middle ground there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I'd rather have them put too much in there than not enough, and we end up with the fluff that we got in the... The the in Blackest Night that we just spoke about. In that regard, this one excels above that greatly. And I like what they're doing with Aquaman here. You know, he's he he absolutely has a reason to be uh hard edged. He comes off very regal. He wants to do what's right for his people. He does not want to go to war, but he will. But he wants to use it, you know, whereas Orm wants to make that his first and only option. Arthur doesn't want to make it his first and only option. You know, we find out later on he has a doomsday weapon because he is a good leader. He is prepared. But he doesn't want to do that. He will negotiate. That's why he listens to Superman and goes to the World Assembly. So I thought they did a really good job giving Aquaman character because Aquaman was always the joke. Of, of super friends, and even in the comics. Oh, he talks to fish, LOLs, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, and, and here, everything they do with him, and what we're going to get into in this second episode here, it's like, holy crap. You know, you LOLs before, but now you're going to OMG. <laughs> so I, 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 I do appreciate that here. Now, some things I do have to bring up, though. When the Justice League goes to Atlantis, and they start attacking those ships, some of those ships start exploding. The Justice League killed those Atlanteans. Not everybody got off those ships. Yeah. If you really think about that, I mean, yeah, they cut the ships open and people, you know, the fish people start falling out, but there's no way they all got out. And then the ship goes, boom, what the hell? You know, I won't gripe too much when they kill aliens. You know, it's a little weird when you consider that three of the team members are aliens. They should be like, yeah, um, it's not okay to kill us, guys. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, you know, but when you start killing other creatures, other humanoids from Earth, then there's kind of a big problem, and someone should have pointed that out in, in, on the production team, I mean. Um, as much as I like the stuff with Deadshot, it went on way, way too long. Oh, that chase? Yeah. Needlessly definitely. long. I mean, he, John just phases and lets him go, th go through him. He's coming your way, Diana. Like, why don't you just stick your arm out and punch him in the head? You know? Yeah, or clothesline him. Exactly. Yeah. And then Wonder Woman, instead of jumping into the sewer to stop him, trashes a street to drop rubble on him? Yeah. Excessive much? I mean, come on. She seriously just could have lifted up a manhole or created a little hole in the street, dropped down, and that's it. He's done. But no, no, gotta ruin a whole block. Diana smash. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Yeah. 
Yeah, it went on too long, but I love Deadshot. The dude is such a smarmy asshole. And you know what? He fucking can be, because he just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's fucking Deadshot. <laughs> yeah, I love the way Rosenbaum plays him. He's very... Uh, I'm not even sure this is a real word. Uh, like, I was going to say unemotive. But unexpressive, I guess, would be the proper term. <laughs> he's deadpan. He's totally Yeah, deadpan. exactly. He's just like, you know, when he's talking to Wonder Woman, he's like, hey, babe, you know, I'm a mercenary. It's, it's, we don't talk, but maybe <laughs> you could persuade me. You know, and it's just, just like that, just very flat. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't care. You guys are going to throw me in jail. You know, I'm going to hit on the Amazon, whatever. Why did you try to kill Aquaman? Gee, I don't know, because somebody paid me to do yeah. it. Dumbass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. He he really was the highlight of it. And I wish there was a little more of him. You know, as I'm already sort of griping that there was too much in the episode. Quick question. Did you notice Summer Gleason in the background when Deadshot made the second assassination attempt? No. Yeah, that was Summer Gleason back there. <laughs> complete in her BTAS, you know, getup. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Clearest day. She's right there. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool that they're throwing her in there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think what else to say about this, you know. Oh, yeah, here we go. How did Batman get the back to tank into the hospital? He's just like, I know what to do, and all of a sudden there's a back to tank. You know? I don't know. <laughs> what? A bathtub and some Morton salt wouldn't have done? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, Batman. Uh, Gotta show off with your fancy equipment. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Yes. Swing, swing the dick around, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we're you know we're gonna get into it in in the next episode we're, or the next story we're talking about here. But I'm convinced that the the utility belt is a fucking TARDIS. It's just bigger on the inside. You know, he <laughs> he just is able to fit that back to tank thingy in there, and he just shows up with it, puts it down, sulks into the shadows. He's like, "Oh, I know what to do. <laughs> I've already set this thing up. It was in my belt." <laughs> God. <laughs> The utility belt hammer space. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so in the second part, what happens here is Aquaman has been taking, taken to jail um, in, in Atlantis. That is um, uh, Mira, Aquaman's wife. And I, something I didn't mention in the first part of this is that Aquaman is married and he does have a young son. Uh, she shows up, she talks to Orm, and she's like, oh, I heard my husband had returned. Is this true? And uh, Orm's like, no, no, it, it's an unfounded rumor. He then takes hold of her, and he's all like, but I'll take care of you. Mm. And your son, too. Mm. So she's like, my son, what are you talking about? And because the whole thing is, is you know, Orm might be, you know, Arthur's brother, but, you know, the line of succession would go to Arthur's son. So he has to get rid of Arthur and the boy, to take control of the throne, proper control of it. Because right now he's doing it under the guise of, guise of I'm just going to take control of uh, Atlantis until he comes of age, which of course would be, you know, years upon years. Um, but if he can eliminate him, he'll have it until his own death. Well, uh, Mira runs to the baby's crib, or should I say fish tank, and when she sees that nothing is in there, she sort of flips out. At this point, how does the Justice League get captured? I don't remember. Depth charges. That's right. When okay. They're, they're fighting, the, fighting the guys again. Right, yeah. So they go back down there to try to find Aquaman. And as James said, depth charges take them out. They are captured. They are then put into some sort of 
dungeony, vaulty prison chamber thing that fills with water. And they're restrained, I should say, and they've got these neural thingies. Um, my, yeah, my techno babble is awesome on their heads, which prevents, <laughs> you know, John from uh, phasing, prevents Green Lantern from using his ring, which, once again, he's captured with. Um, I don't think Hawkgirl is captured with her mace, though, though I don't know where it is. Hawkgirl isn't even in this episode. Oh, she isn't in there? Oh, okay. No, I, I, was just, I was just totally adding her into the scene. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it prevents everybody else, like Superman and Wonder Woman, from using their strength. Uh, Batman is not down there with them, it should be said. The tank starts to fill. They all start to drown. Um, at this point, this is when Mira discovers what's going on with Orm. And uh, she goes over to the tank. She picks up uh, a mace of her own, knocks out two guards from behind. She's ruthless. I love it. She's hot. Anyways. It's because uh, she's a red. That's you right. She's a ginger. And look at those pants she's wearing. I mean, they're just these well, this yeah. sheer gowny thing. Anyways, moving on. So, you know, she, she flushes the tank. Uh, she she goes in there and she takes off the inhibitor devices. Uh, the Justice League gets out. She reveals what's going on, that Orm is a bit of a douchebag, because if you couldn't tell that, you must have been blind. And, uh, and or- death. Yeah, exactly. Orm, we then cut to him. He Oh, before this, the Justice League's walking around. She's... You know, she, she's sort of talking to them, and they're they're attacked. Uh, we then cut to Orm, who uh, visits Arthur, who he's chained to a rock above a, um, like a lava stream oh, underneath a the fissure. ocean. Yeah, a fissure, a that's fissure. it. Thank you, I couldn't think of the word. And uh, he's got him chained to that thing, and he says, uh, yeah, you know, I, I know the only way to take control of the crown is to kill you. And your son! <laughs> and he pulls the son out of the, the boot of his little uh, ship there. And uh, he pulls out his knife as if he's going to stab the baby. But instead, he actually uh, thrusts his knife into the same rock that Arthur is in. Uh, the baby, of course, it's wrapped up in some blanket thingy. And he hangs the baby on that thing. So both father and son are there. He then uh, pulls out his trident, actually Arthur's trident, and he says, "Well, I'm off to go and fe- uh, avenge your deaths," and which is a pretty good line if you want the truth. Yeah, it actually <laughs> is. And he blasts the rock face, uh, causing it to start to fall into this fissure towards the lava. Aquaman starts to freak out, not necessarily to save his own life, but to save his son's life. He struggles against the chains. Um, he's able to get one hand free, but the other hand, he cannot get out. And as they're getting closer and closer to the lava, the baby's getting more scary, and it's crying louder and louder, and his fatherly instincts kick in, and, you know, he, he keeps tugging on that chain harder and harder, and it's not happening. It's not budging. So he takes off his belt buckle, which is in the shape of an A, because, you know, he's Aquaman, and it's, and he's Arthur, and he lifts it up, he screams, Raw! and boom, comes down. We cut away. We don't exactly know what happened. Okay, we are then in the throne room with Mira and the Justice League. There, you know, some of the members are searching for Arthur. They can't find him anywhere. As she's, uh, you know, mourning the disappearance of her husband, he comes walking in with his baby. Uh, he's hiding his left hand, however, and if you pay attention, it's actually wrapped in the red blanket that the son was in. Um, she then runs to her husband, she takes her baby, and she looks down at him, and she gasps, because we see that he did indeed sever off his own motherfucking hand. Hard 
fucking core. <laughs> that is actually the note I wrote down. Hardcore, double underline, three exclamation points. <laughs> and I knew it was coming. I've seen this one before. In fact, I want to say this was the very first episode of the Justice League I had ever seen. This second part, I remember turning the TV on. I know we're getting away from the synopsis, but I remember turning the TV on and coming across that scene. And I was like, holy crap! <laughs> was hooked <laughs> from there! Um, yep. So, uh, after that, um, Aquaman then swears vengeance on his brother. But before that, um, before he can get his vengeance, I should say, uh, he goes to the infirmary where um, he has a hook hand <laughs> uh, soldered on to, or grafted on, I should say, to his flesh and bone. Um, he then, you know, they start getting reports that the surface world is starting to heat up, that the ice caps are starting to melt. Arthur reveals, he's like, yeah, that's probably the doomsday weapon <laughs> that I installed at the North Pole or South Pole or whatever, wherever. And, um, yeah, it seems my brother's doing it, and if he activates that, the world's going to get flooded. So they all head up there to try to stop Orm. Uh, during the fight, Orm destroys the machine, thus preventing it from being shut off. Um, Arthur and Orm, they get taken away from the machine. They start fighting. Uh, Batman and Green Lantern, they try to figure out how to stop it. And Batman figures out the only way to do that is to climb into the ship. Because he doesn't want to die horribly of radiation poisoning, uh, he has Green Lantern wrap him in a, uh, a bubble, basically. A body sheath. And uh, so he can climb in there to manually shut the machine down. Uh, he does that. Uh, of course, Aquaman gets the upper hand on his brother, uh, who ends up hanging from a ledge, the trident laying at Arthur's feet. And uh, Orm's like, brother, help me, lift me back up. Arthur simply grabs the trident, says, I think this is mine, and watches his brother plummet to his death. <laughs> Uh, Again, art fucking core. I think it would have been cooler if he took the crown off his head and was like, I think this belongs to me. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it still works out. But uh, what do you call it? What happens from there? They shut down the machine, as I said, and hmm, where does it go from there? I don't remember. We just go back to Atlantis. And what happens at Atlantis? That's what I'm saying. Oh, no, they, they just like talk. Uh, 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 Arthur's like, look, all I wanted to do is make uh, Atlantis safe. And, uh, you know, and Superman's like, you know, it's not going to be easy with all that's happened here. And he's like, I know, but some sacrifices are worth it. And the episode ends with Mira holding uh, Arthur Jr. <laughs> yeah, we don't know the baby's name. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So what were you thinking here? Uh, wow. <laughs> Holy fucking wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they didn't show it and really there's no way they could. But, I mean, god damn, that is one of the most awe-inspiring moments in the DCAU. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, the coup de grace is when he shows up in the throne room with the, the red cloth around his stump. Yeah, they purposely went with red so they could get away with not showing blood, but still showing blood. Yeah. I thought that was very smart on their part because why wasn't the cloth, you know, green, gold, purple, white, black? Why did they choose red? Well, that's why. To hide the blood, but still illustrate the blood. Very crafty on their parts. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I have to wonder about that thing, though, is that I, how Aquaman broke one chain with one arm, but he couldn't break the other chain with all of his strength, you know? Nah. It's a little, a little nitpicky, I know, but still, it doesn't take away from the 
the fact that it was just a ridiculously powerful moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like this episode uh, a, a great deal. It mm-hmm. it really tied things up nicely. I think Arthur, you know, Arthur learned his lesson. Yeah. You know, that being not to distrust people just on the onset like that. And I mean, look, it cost him his fucking hand. Yeah. And I think they, and they, and he, as much as says so at the end of the episode, and I, they really did accomplish a lot here. I do like that they didn't use the original comic book way in which Aquaman loses his hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, that being, being devoured by a school of piranhas. Yeah, no, this is much they, more hardcore. I mean, he made the decision. I mean, this is, and I gotta say it, this is the decision that was pre- presented to Dr. What's-His-Face in the first Saw movie. You know, where he had to cut off his own foot, or he thought he had to, to, to save his family. That's what's happening here. He severed a limb to save his boy and get back to his wife and save his kingdom. Um, I, I really think my only gripe with the second part of this story is the way in which the Atlanteans were going to execute the Justice League. Why would fish people have a drowning death chamber thing? In case surface dwellers ever come down there. That's really that, I mean the average surface dweller that's gonna come down there though isn't gonna be a superhero. It's gonna be a human who you could just, you know, stab with a trident and they're dead. <laughs> you know, how many superheroes are you really gonna get down there that you need to drown? They'd be like having an underwater birthing pool. Which has actually appeared in an Aquaman comic, by the way. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So. Here's something I have to ask. John Stewart being a dick again. It's like, I told you he was a madman. Dude, <laughs> saving his son's life. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Oh exactly. But Mira put him in his place. Oh, yeah. You know what she, she do? She turns around she, and she, says, she, what does she say? Is, is it madness to sacrifice everything for somebody you love? Exactly. exactly. And then Stuart just looks like... Meh. Yeah, he does kind of look away, a little ashamed, I thought. I don't know, it, it could be read a different way, I suppose, that's true. To his credit, kind of sort of admitted he was a dick at the end. He was like, eh, well, maybe we've all misjudged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he even throws an I told you so in there. At one point, when it turns out they have the pl- plutonium, I could swear he says, "Is what is this? Oh, what yeah. I say? He told you so, or something like that." Hey, he's talking to Batman. Yeah, yeah. Batman just should have been looked at him and been like, "Whatever." Just took the ring off his hand. Like, shut up. <laughs> this well, is he, mine. he was in the he was in the Batwing, so he couldn't. Oh, fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> extracted that little claw that comes out of the side of his jet and just plucked it off. I'm like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> What happened to Green Lantern? I don't know. <laughs> where's, where's Kyle Rayner? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you mean that Kyle kid? Yeah. Well, he's, he's over there somewhere. <laughs> well, I do think the fight between Orm and and Arthur was pretty fucking hardcore because mm-hmm. uh, Aquaman gets his chest sliced. Now, although they don't show a cut you know, later on or anything, which is kind of an animation flub, but yeah. I digress. It, that was still a pretty heavy-duty fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, uh, for you know, for one-on-one combat. Yeah, I love Arthur. You know, as, as the ledge is crumbling, he keeps bouncing from rock to rock. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that in other cartoons. That's nothing new, but it was animated well, and it added to the intensity of that moment. That was really cool. Oh, and yeah, before the fight even happens, uh, when Arthur walks up to the machine, the the split second animation where uh, Orm zaps him right in the back with the trident is awesome. It's he, Aquaman's eyes all go white and. 
completely white, like he's been electrocuted with like 500,000 volts. Yeah, and his it's hair goes ex- all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just excellent, excellent animation. Yeah. Um, I have a question, though. While he was fighting Orm and Batman and GL were disarming the device, what was Superman doing? Was he out there fighting the Atlanteans? Yeah, he, Jean, and Wonder Woman were out there fighting the Atlanteans. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, why couldn't Superman just come in and go into the machine and stop it? You know? <laughs> this this way, no one needed to be protected like, like Batman had to. Exactly. But Superman tells Green Lantern to stay with Aquaman. And yeah, that he'll keep, true. and then the rest of them will keep the guys busy. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Something I forgot to say. When Superman comes out of that machine, Green Lantern's like, you did it. And Batman's like, no, we did it. What, what, what exactly did John do? Okay, fine. He put the bubble around you. Which was kind of important. It was, but Batman was still the one who climbed into the machine and did the deed. You know, Batman would have done it whether Green Lantern could have saved his life or not. Because he's Batman. That's what he does. You know, later on in the series, we see him get very suicidal several times. He would have died before he even reached that wheel thing. But he still at least would have tried. You know, I really, it felt out of character for Batman just to be like, no, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) Common criminals. Is this what I've been reduced to? Criminals, yes, but common. Most certainly not. Lex Luthor? Well, the plot thins. Cheetah, Sapphire, Grundy, glad you could make it. And of course you all know the ultra-humanite. John, I'm sure. Cut the courtesies, Luthor. What do you want? Each of you is the best in the world at what you do. And I have need of your unique services. My talents don't come cheaply. You'll all be paid most handsomely if you can do one simple job. What kind of job? Destroy Superman and the Justice League. Last up today is Injustice for All. In episode one, it opens up at LexCorp, where Lex Luthor has apparently beaten Superman once and for all as he holds this large chunk of kryptonite over him inside his office. Um, Superman begs to know how he sold the weapons to the terrorists, and uh, Luthor says, you know, there's bribes and gifts to Interpol agents and whatnot. And suddenly Superman stands up completely fine, and Luthor frantically holds the kryptonite right in his face, but it does absolutely nothing. And it turns out to be Sean in disguise. So Lantern and Batman bust in, uh, get the kryptonite, uh, but Luthor activates some airborne weapon thing that allows him to escape. And uh, he starts, he, he leaves, Superman starts to chase after him, but while he's chasing after him, he has some kind of seizure and begins to crash, but Superman narrowly saves him. Credits roll, we come back, uh, and Luthor is in a hospital. Uh, it turns out that he has a rare blood poisoning caused by prolonged exposure to kryptonite. Uh, Luthor is pissed off, naturally, but you know, he loses interest in defending his case in court. Uh, so he resigns to being uh, sent to prison. Well, in prison, uh, Luthor convinces the ultra-humanite to help him escape in exchange for a, log- a large sum of money. And they do escape thanks to humanite's vast intellect and cunning. And... Uh, Luthor and Humanite eventually take cover in this alley, and Luthor throws a pipe bomb in a building to keep the police and the Justice League occupied. So uh, Batman shows up on the scene to save this little girl trapped in the fire, but he isn't able to get out in time. Thankfully, Hawkgirl shows up and rescues both of them. 
and they, along with Flash and Superman, meet up on the street. Uh, we go to some abandoned, I don't know, some kind of factory. What the hell was that place? It was like a picture. It said Metropolis Picture Company or something. Yeah, I don't know. I, like a movie studio or something? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, Cheetah shows up, and she mixes it up with Copperhead. But Copperhead says, stop, stop. I'm just here for a job. And uh, Cheetah says, yeah, I am too. Copperhead flirts with her, so she scratches him. They start to fight. Uh, Solomon Grundy appears. Uh, they start all fighting, and finally the Shade pops up and stops the fighting with his walking stick. Well, he threatens to do worse, but Star Sapphire shows up and emasculates him quite a bit uh, by stealing his cane. Finally, Luthor and the Humanites show up, and Luthor says, Look, I've gathered you here because you guys are the best at what you do, and I will pay you handsomely if you destroy the Justice League. Aboard the Watchtower, they see that uh, uh, the League sees that Ultra Humanite has taken a building under his control and has hostages. Uh, the League shows up on the scene. Lantern and Superman go in while Batman tends to a hostage. Well, it turns out that Cheetah is a ho- is the hostage in disguise, and so sh- Batman has to contend with her and Copperhead while Superman deals with Grundy and the Humanite. And we have this big long battle ensues, and uh, Batman manages to get to Luthor, but Luthor turns the tables on him by headbutting him, uh, and he's about to shoot Batman when a blast from Star Sapphire is uh, ricocheted from Wonder Woman's bracelets and completely destroys the walkway that they're both on. Luthor nearly falls to his death, but Humanite saves him, and uh, Batman gets up, but he's bitten by Copperhead, who is in turn blasted by Green Lantern, and Batman's like, don't worry about me, stop them. Humanite tells Luthor they're too well organized, and Shade's like, you know, you gotta let me get us out of here, uh, you know, or else it's that or prison. So Shade unleashes a massive cloud of darkness over the whole place, and uh, they escape. Uh, Flash says, "Hey, look, we got one of them," and Superman's like, "Yeah, but they got one of us too." Batman is dying from the poison, and but they manage to get him aboard the Watchtower and get some kind of antidote into his system. He awakens. Uh, Superman says he's going to Strikers to interrogate Copperhead. Batman says, cool, let's get going. But Superman says, uh, no, you're staying here. And uh, Batman is not at all pleased by this. And once the other leaguers leave, uh, he goes to a computer to prepare a javelin for launch. Uh, Jean tries to reason with him, tell him, look, I know you're feeling vulnerable. You don't have any special powers like the rest of us, but you are a valued member of the team. Yada, yada, yada. Batman just turns to him and says, you know, I'm taking the shuttle and fuck you if you don't like it, Martian. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay, he doesn't say that, but the inflection is there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back on Earth in the factory, Luthor derides the team for getting the crap kicked out of them, basically. And he says, uh, he threatens them, and Grundy just grabs him by the throat and says, or else you'll do what? <laughs> to which Luthor says, you know what, go ahead, I'm dying anyway. And, hey, you won't get paid a penny by me if I'm gone. So Grundy says, you're crazy. When, speaking of crazy, who should show up but the Joker? And Joker says that, look, Luthor, you need me. Luthor disagrees vehemently. <laughs> but Joker says, uh-uh. I know how Batman thinks, and he proves it by taking a concealed bat tracer off of Luthor's jacket. Well, later Batman shows up at the factory. Sure enough, Joker is waiting for him. He's knocked unconscious onto uh, their poker table below, and Joker just stands there laughing as the episode ends. Uh, What are you thinking so far? I have mixed feelings about this opening episode. I think it does a good job setting up 
all these new characters. Copperhead, Star Sapphire, um, uh, Cheetah. I always, I always forget her name. Um, is this the first time we've seen Grundy? It's the first time, yeah. 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 Um, the Shade. It's the first time we've seen all of them, including Humanite, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it, it does a real good job in this in this first part, uh, letting us know who each one of them are, what their motivations are. You know, for most of them, it's money. For for Grundy, maybe it's a little more because he's a little, well, I was gonna say slow, but he's a zombie. Give the guy a break. I really like I really like Grundy in. in oh, I'm here. a huge Grundy fanboy. <laughs> yeah, they do a great job with him in here, and I really like the Humanite too. You know, mm-hmm. he's that type of villain who is. Um, you know, as we see when this story ends, he'll do what's right for him, is yeah. is what it is. And he'll make no bones about it, but he's very smart. You know, as they as the guards say when he breaks out, he's, he's a model prisoner, so they didn't suspect that he was going to uh, assault them in the way that he did. You know, he's willing to serve his time. You know, I like the fact that he's a giant cultured gorilla with a big brain. He's cool. But uh, what am I getting at here? No, in, in the little time each of them had on screen, I think they did a really decent job uh, saying who they were. But Luthor's like, you're all the best there is at what you do. Really? Yeah, that, that, I was like, what? Where's the Joker? Where's Deadshot? Where's Slade? Where's, you know, I could keep going on about the best there is in the DCAU. And, um, these guys, they're at the bottom of the barrel, but they're probably right around the middle. (laughs) (laughs) They're the mid-grade gasoline. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that was a little bothersome. The the fight scene, I mean, okay, you know, I don't, you know, I don't deride an episode when there is a fight scene, but, because I understand that it's a Justice League cartoon. People got to get punched in the kisser. But at the same time, I don't know, I didn't like the fight scene. It seemed way too clustered. And then at one point, one of the members of the Legion of Doom or whatever, they're all like, oh no, they're too organized, let's get out of here. And I'm like, they're too organized? What? Where? How? <laughs> they're not <laughs> teaming up, they're not doing... You know, like when you watch Teen Titans, you'll see like... Like, you'll see, like, Raven and Starfire, like, grab each other's hands, and they'll spin around, they combine their powers, and they create some, like, green and black twirly blast thing, you know, yeah. Robin will throw a, a, his, one of his batarangs, or whatever he calls them, and Cyborg will shoot it, and it'll cause it to explode, it's like, that's teamwork, yeah. that's organization, here, these guys, they're doing nothing, nothing at all <laughs> together, there's no organization, so, yep. you know, and, and Luthor... Okay, I do understand at this point Luthor is really losing his mind, quite possibly from the kryptonite poisoning, but also from learning that he is dying. But at the same time, he's just all over the place. He's just totally erratic's not the right word. Unorganized. He doesn't seem very Luthorish. Maybe it's because this is the first time we're really seeing him out of his element, at least in the DCAU, out of the office, you know, yeah, having I mean, to this be... Is the last... I'm sorry. No, go, this, ahead, go this ahead. Is the last, this is the last time we see him in his, uh, you know, his business suit until the very last yeah. episode of JLU. His power suit, yes, <laughs> as he exactly. calls it. You know, maybe uh-huh. maybe it's that. Maybe they haven't found Luthor's legs in that role yet. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a whole bunch of little things that come together to make me sort of go, eh, it's, it's so-so. Because the good is good, but the so-so stuff is, well, it's so-so. Yeah, I can see exactly where you're coming from there, but there are a lot of really just great moments uh, in terms of DCAU lore. Mm-hmm. I love the moment 
where Batman intercepts Green Lantern's beam and grabs the the kryptonite. Mm-hmm. It's not because it's not something you might take much notice of if you're you know you aren't paying attention closely, but it's an important thing that comes into play later on down the road in Justice League. And you know, let's face it, I mean, it's a, it's clearly a nod to Batman's inability to ever 100% trust Superman, no matter how much he respects him. What happens later on that I'm not recalling? Well, he he keeps the kryptonite on him at all times. Oh, okay, yeah, and, yeah. And they and they make note of that in the Amazo episode. Okay. Whenever that. Comes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Now, here's something else, and I know I'm probably looking way too far into this, but Luthor mentioned a guy named Stavros. Thank working you. At a ship, Thank you. Shipping company. Yep. Yeah. In, in the confession to fake Superman. Yeah. If you. Go back to BTIS, the episode Fire from Olympus. There was a guy named Stavros who accepted a bribe. And where was he working in that episode? Maximilian Shipping Lines. Oh, you know, it, that's not what I was going for. But that's a connection. Wow, that's a good connection. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you can possibly claim that Lex Luthor had an indirect role in Maxi Zeus rising to that position of power because Stavros was going to rat out Zeus to Commissioner Gordon uh, before Zeus used the lightning weapon on him. Now, whether we should hate Luthor's guts for that or not is another story entirely, but but I think they have to be calling back to that episode because who the hell else was named Stavros in the DCAU? You know, since I believe that to be the case, I give the writers major league props for one hell of an amazing continuity link, which it was what, you know, what was essentially a throwaway line. See, I thought you were going somewhere else. <laughs> As you said, Luthor says that he bribed someone named Stavros at the shipping company. Who is this Lex Luthor based on, visually and voice-wise? Telly Savalas, who in one of the James Bond films played Ernst Stavros Blofeld. So that's what I thought they were getting at. They had a Luthor based on Telly Savalas mention Stavros, which is the, the name of a character that Telly Savalas played. But at the same time, it links back up to DCAU continuity. So it, it works both ways. You know, I'm going to go with, you know, this is what I think they meant. And you can go with, you, you know, that's what you think they meant. And it works both ways. Absolutely it does. And you join them together and they still work. They don't contradict each other either. You know? <laughs> exactly. It could be both. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, here's here's something, though, I have to wonder about this episode. I, I seriously question Batman urgently calling for backup on a building fire. Yeah. Yeah, that totally out of character for him. But in, you know, building off of that though, I did like them showing Hawkgirl saving Batman and kind of planting the seeds for Batman's anger with the League at the end of the episode. The, the fir- that being the first episode of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Hawkgirl, did she imply that Flash is too fast in bed? Oh, she more than implied. <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure we were on the same page there. I love that. I mean, he's bragging on putting out the fire. Yeah, I'm the fastest man alive, which might explain why you can't get a date. Yeah, hey! <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> and Batman's just like, shut up! Yeah. <laughs> Working here. Yeah. I, I think my favorite line of this episode, though, was when sh- uh, Luthor shows up uh, to the group of uh, supervillains and Shade's just like, Lex, Luthor? Well, the plot thins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> oh, another question I have. Uh, John Stewart is dead, yes? Uh, Solomon I... Grundy jumped on him. Oh, I think I missed that. Did he? Well, remember when Grundy uh, first shows up in the uh, fight scene there? Mm-hmm. Uh, he knocks GL through the floor, and, you know, he kind of, GL's all like, 
woozy getting up, and all of a sudden you pan up. Grundy jumps through the hole. We don't pan down. He just jumps down, and you hear, ugh, from John Stewart. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't think he had a Green Lantern shield up at that point. Yeah. yeah. He's dead. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I have a question, though. Luthor is in jail in Metropolis. Makes sense. Why is Batman patrolling Metropolis? Exactly. I was wondering that myself. Unless he's still kind of trying to look for uh, Luthor and Humanite for some reason. No, no, they had just escaped at that point. Because remember, they, they break out of jail, they're running around the streets, and that's when Luthor throws the bomb at the apartment building. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't think you can say he was out looking for them. I think he was just patrolling the streets of Goth or of a, a Metropolis there. I mean, yeah. maybe I mean, I know he was he looking hears... for them, but I don't know. No, you're right. He wasn't because he actually hears that over the police band on the Batmobile while he's in Metropolis. So. That's right. He does. So that's a little weird. <laughs> maybe he was visiting Lois. <laughs> hey, there you go. The only other note I think I have is uh, the look that batman gives superman what superman tells him he's staying put is just a great look to kill by you know <laughs> and I've, i gotta tell you superman has some nerve though i mean he is the goddamned batman yeah. after all. <laughs> nice um i actually like the line that batman says to john you know when john's you know like oh you don't have superpowers but you don't have to prove yourself you know <laughs> if i was batman i just would have held up a lighter to his face but i'm like go away you know, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, and then he just, you know, he stands up and he's like, I'm taking the shuttle unless you want to try and stop me. And he intimidates John, John backs down. And he's like, no, you know, <laughs> that was good. That was really good. <laughs> yep. Um, before we get onto the second episode, there are a couple of little animation flubs. I have to mention when uh-huh. Luthor and the humanite are coming down in that elevator. If you look at the way the glass is shattered, it's different from when the elevator actually lands. It's just, it's just a real minor thing, but it's, you know, they should have been a little more consistent with that. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is when that bomb goes off, Luthor's bomb and the cop car spins around the, the, the windshield is broken. If I remember correctly. And yeah. The cops, they're in silhouette. They're, like, purple. But then when they need to start animating them, they they pop into frame. And then they get out of their car or whatever they do. And it's really jarring watching them go from these purple silhouettes. They don't fade in. They literally just pop in with, with full coloring and full detail. And then they get out. It's, it's <laughs> kind of bothersome, at least to me. I missed that, but I'll, I can... I'll go back and check that out. Yeah. This, is, I really, this is one of those episodes I just like to pop in and watch all the time. Anything else before we get on to the second part? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think we get on here. All right. So episode two begins uh, with Batman being held prisoner by the villains in a stasis field so that Jean can't telepathically find him. And Luthor says that they're going to keep him alive and, uh, until Luthor says he doesn't need him anymore, to which Joker eggs Luthor on, uh, Luthor on into shooting him. Uh, Luthor refuses again. The gang all stares at him like, really, dude? <laughs> so Luthor says, look, the stasis field will keep the Martian from finding him. And uh, he then demands that Batman give him a means to getting into the watchtower. And Batman toys with him and says, uh, so uh, Luthor says, Grundy, open it. <laughs> oh, Grundy tries to open the utility belt. He is electrocuted for his troubles. 
So he collapses in a heap. Uh, Luther, annoyed, just says, all right, bring that upstairs. I'll get it open. He uh, has Humanite and Grundy watch Batman to make sure he doesn't try anything. Sure enough, as soon as he leaves, Batman tries something. He asks Grundy if he's being paid as much as Humanite, uh, citing all the shit that he's been put through so far. (laughs) And Humanite says it's preposterous that Grundy should make as much as him. And uh, Batman's like, is it? So Grundy gets this awesome look on his face, like, and then he starts fighting Humanite. Luthor and the gang come back downstairs, and he he gets pissed off at both of them. So he has Cheetah watch Batman instead. So we go to uh, Striker's Island. Uh, Copperhead, Superman, and Flash are all in this uh, interrogation room. Superman asks him, you know, he's like, he's like, when are you going to get some sense and tell me where Luthor is? So Copperhead's just like, fuck you, I'm not telling you anything. What are you going to do? <laughs> so it, so Superman throws a tizzy fit and says, guards, take it back to his cell. <laughs> and so uh, Superman rhetorically asks how Batman does it. Gee, Supes, you know, maybe you should have brought him along. Uh, maybe it's because Batman would follow through with that punch, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So back at the, at the uh, I don't know, the factory or whatever, um, Batman works his manipulation magic on Cheetah, saying, look, I don't see you as a freak. I, I understand you were willing to sacrifice everything for a cause you believed in, and I, that's, I know that's why you look the way you do. So... <laughs> Yeah. You know what? I was going to make a joke about Cheetah being in heat, but I won't. Oh, wait. Oops. So Batman has snogged two cat women, and one of them is actually a cat. Oh, the other one was temporarily a cat, too. Oh, my God. He has a furry fetish. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Well, what we got the furry fetish here, and in our last episode, we had the, uh, uh, what is it, the tentacle porn? Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, so upstairs, Luthor tells Humanite to go relieve Cheetah. He manages to get the utility belt open, and he finds a remote to gain access to the watchtower. Because there's no way that's the remote to, like, the Batcave or anywhere else. The Batmobile. Yeah, yeah, the microwave. I I mean, what the fuck? Oh, this has to be the key to the Justice League watchtower. Ah! Uh, next, we see Sapphire, Grundy, and Shade uh, hovering up towards the watchtower, and they infiltrate it. They knock out John, and they put a bomb down there. And believe me, I will have something to say about that shortly. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Back on the surface, though, the league gathers and they decide to go to the watchtower since they haven't heard from John since he sounded the alarm. We go back to the uh, factory place, the uh, villain hideout, and the Joker wheels a TV cart into Batman's holding cell room saying that they planted a bomb there and they're going to watch it live as the watchtower gets blown to splinters. Humanite's sitting to the side, but he leaves because he's disgusted by Joker's antics. Uh, but Joker's like, oh, you know, he's going to miss all the fun and uh, and the sequel, and Batman's like, what? Oh, oh, by the way, as soon as uh, the bomb gets your friends, I get you. The League goes up there, they find Jean unconscious, and they go to find uh, get Batman out of the sick bay because they don't know that he's left the watchtower at this point. And uh, Luthor is, we next see Luthor watching TV, waiting for the big moment to happen, but we look at Cheetah and she's all forlorn in the background. On the watchtower, Wonder Woman gets a discre- uh, distress call from an unidentified person saying that there is a bomb on board the watchtower. So they fan out, Lantern finds it, Flash throws it out into space just in the nick of time. 
Luthor sees the explosion, he's like, yes, but quickly he's aghast because the bomb has not disintegrated all of them, and he insults all of the villains in his sight. So they're like, fuck you, we're out of here. They leave, but Luthor starts having chest pain again, and he manages to get them to stay by promising to triple their pay. Uh, And what their plan is is they're just going to lure them to this factory and ambush them or something. Uh, Go back to the Watchtower. Jean awakens, explains what happened. Lantern says the only way they could have gotten in here was via Batman's transmitter. Go back to Batman's room. Joker is really sad at not seeing the League being turned into cosmic dust. So he prepares to have some fun with the razor and Batman's face. Yeah. Batman headbutts him, gets back up. He's about to resume trying to slice his face apart. But Grundy appears and stops Joker from doing anything else. So Joker leaves all pissy. And Batman is like, thanks. You know, if you hadn't come along when you did. Uh, can I have some water, by the way? So Grundy gets it for him. He... Uh, pours the water in his mouth. Batman spits the water into the stasis field generator, shorting it out. Uh, Sean is able to telepathically sense him now, so they make their way to Earth. Uh, Humanite, in the meantime, straps Luthor to this machine and fits him with a power suit that uh, is, uh, I guess, fueled by the kryptonite radiation in Luthor's body, and it stabilizes his condition. Grundy runs in and tells them that Batman has broken the quote-unquote static thingy. <laughs> I love... Grundy. Yeah. <laughs> he's so awesome. <laughs> and so, uh, Humanite says that he's probably already contacted the Martian. They're going to be here shortly. Luther says, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll be fine once we find out who the traitor is. And they're like, huh? And he's like, the only way they could have found that bomb is if one of them told them. Or, uh, or you know, if they parked the javelin, you know, looked behind a fucking box. <laughs> the security cameras uh, show Cheetah making out with Batman, and they instantly believe her to be the traitor. Well, uh, they, she manages to get away momentarily, but Joker reappears or appears behind her, and he joy buzzers her. She is taken away by Grundy, uh, never to be seen again. Except, well, I take that back. She's in the paddy wagon. But anyway, uh, anyway, Luthor is ready. The League is outside on the roof opposite the building. Sean goes in undercover, but uh, Humanite spots him and electrocutes him, knocks him out. The rest of the League bursts in. Fight begins. After several minutes of fighting, Superman demands to know from a defeated Grundy where Luthor is. Luthor shows up behind him in the full uh, green and purple suit, blasts Superman with the kryptonite radiation. Um, But before he can finish him off, Humanite appears behind him and zaps him with his uh, taser pole thingy. And uh, Luthor goes into Julius Caesar mode. Humanite surrenders to the League. And uh, Joker, in the background, realizing that everyone has been defeated, uh, takes out a gun. And uh, he goes back downstairs to finish off Batman, but Batman has escaped, and he punches Joker in the face a couple times for his troubles. He uh, he also says that he could have escaped any time, but he just stuck around to keep an eye on all of them. So outside, uh, the bad guys are all being led into the paddy wagon, and uh, Humanite asks Batman if he'll keep their bargain. And Batman says, sure, yeah, double what Luthor is paying. Flash is like, what was that all about? And Batman just smirks. Uh, so we go back to Strikers. Humanite's blasting his television at stupidly high volumes to the, again, anger of Luthor in his adjacent cell. And then the public broadcasting station says this program was made possible by a grant from the Ultra Humanite and viewers like you. The end. You know, the, the ending's a bit silly. And it's it's kind of petty on Batman's part. Like, oh, I know how to get back at Luthor for trying to kill me. 
I'm gonna have the Ultra Humanite blast his TV! <laughs> like, would Batman really do that? What does Batman have to do with the TV program? Humanite made the deal with Batman, knowing he would yep. go back to jail, but he's taking his money so he can continue to fund the, you know, what do you call public it? Broadcasting. Public broadcasting program just so he can piss off Luthor. That's the whole scheme they come up with. When you two are back in jail, turn that volume up even louder. Make him listen to that opera. Who knows? <laughs> well, the point is, Luthor is back in prison. It is, but it's so petty. <laughs> yeah, but it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they could just, I don't know, knock the guy out. You know, have him permanently gassed until the cancer killed him. You know, instead, let's piss him off with the volume. <laughs> God. I, the most obvious glaring problem here is, seriously, they didn't take the mask off. Yes. Even, even if you want to say that Joker told them not to, since, you know, we've talked in the past, would Joker want to or not want to mm -hmm. take the mask off? You're telling me that he stopped Lex fucking Luthor and a gang of super criminals from doing it? Yeah. No fucking way. Mm -hmm. At least five members of that gang, that being Luthor, Cheetah, Shade, Sapphire, and Humanite, would have jumped at the chance to find out his identity. Right. And Joker ain't going to stop all of them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There, there's another minor error in this one, too. You had mentioned that we see Cheetah in the paddy wagon, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure isn't Copperhead in there, too? Yes, he is. That's what I thought. Okay. Okay, thank you. I uh, Okay. Good. I was, I, my, I was like, why is he in the paddy wagon? Did they take him out of jail just to put him back in the fucking paddy wagon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're going to re-arrest you again just for the hell of it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another problem I have here. There is no way in hell Joker would ever ever let anyone else have the honor of killing Batman, mm -hmm. especially Lex Luthor, yeah. by just shooting him. That is creepy, though, when he's trying to persuade him to do it and he's just tapping the gun. I think he taps yeah. the gun, doesn't he? He's hugging, and he's hugging him while he's doing yeah. it. Yeah. And then later on, when he pulls the blade out in front of Batman's face, oof, that is rough. I was going to say hardcore, but we've had our hardcore quota for the day. <laughs> it's frightening. I really got visions of Heath Ledger Joker. Uh -huh. He was going to car carve a smile into his face. He, yeah, exactly. I would not be surprised if that's where they got the idea for the uh, for the for the most recent movie for the Dark Knight is from right here. But as we said before, I kind of hinted at in the summary. All right, good work, Grundy. Shall we get to work by simply setting the bomb down behind a crate? <laughs> yeah, let, let's not attach it to some out of the way crevice or even hide it in a fucking vent. Let's just leave it here where any of them can find it when they return. And and you want? I want to know how the fuck they knew when the league was going to be sh uh, showing back up at the watchtower anyway. Yeah. And, and how are they watching them? What satellite have they tapped into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the and Flash should have been sh uh, just sucked out into space when he threw that bomb out there. Yeah, he's just standing there in front of the thing. <laughs> Oh, the whole thing was just one massive fuck up. It's so stupid. Just this gold briefcase. They'll never. This doesn't look out of place. <laughs> it might as well have had a neon sign saying "bomb here, yeah. bomb here." Well, it's blinking red. There's like for, yeah. somehow there's like this red dot coming out of this gold metal briefcase. You know, <laughs> as if this gold metal briefcase wasn't suspicious enough. Let's make it blink. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> I, I will say though, I did love animation-wise here. 
when the gang is all staring at Luther, like, seriously, dude, and he's just, his eye is twitching. Yeah, that was good. He's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can really see, you know, I was, I was talking about this earlier, that he really is losing his mind here. Yeah, you know, and they're not helping. No, anything. they're not. In any fashion. No, I mean, they're a bunch of fuck-ups is what they are. <laughs> they yeah. are. And, uh, well, not all of them, because Humanite really isn't, and... Because Humanite, I mean, he saves Luthor's life by giving him that chest plate, and Grundy's just Grundy. But the rest of them really are just idiots. <laughs> I did like that Olivia Dalbo did uh, Star Sapphire's voice. That was nice. Oh, she is, she? Yeah, she is my favorite character actress ever. Oh, I, I didn't notice that. I did not notice that. She'll also voice Morgan Le Fay, too, so... Oh, cool. Yeah, she comes back. Woo! <laughs> I, I meant to mention this when we were talking about the ending. I did like it because it it was kind of a full circle thing. It, it showed that Luthor's line to humanite in episode one came back to haunt him where he says, everybody needs money. The only question is how much. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. It was money that really brought Luthor down there. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was nice. A full, full, full circle thing mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. I have to mention it though. Wonder twin alert. Yep. Yep. The, the statue was there. That was pretty, that was pretty well humorous. Nifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Here, here's something I have to ask. When they put Luthor's chest plate on him, are we to assume that it's been fused with his body? Because he's he's screaming in agony, isn't he? Well, there was a second piece that attached to the bottom of it, like an Iron Man action figure armor, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, but, so, is it, like, fused to his skin? No, I think it's just kind of resting on his chest okay. until the second, second piece connects it and to be a full torso protector okay because later on at the end of the episode he's got a shirt on underneath the chest plate when he's back in jail and i was like how did he get the shirt on if that thing is now burnt into his skin or whatever but okay okay we'll go with it we'll go with it yeah what else to say about this one i don't know um oh i know i know character wise it it does a good job again having batman interact with so many members of the uh Legion of... What are they called here? Legion of Doom? The Injustice, yeah, Injustice Gang. Gang. That's it, yeah. And just the way he manipulates them, you know, from the simple mind games when he's playing with Grundy and Humanite, pitting the, the dumbest one against the smartest one that isn't Luthor, that is. Feigning sympathy with Cheetah. It's like, you know, and then and then getting Grundy to bring him the water. And just, what's, what's Grundy saying? Oopsie. <laughs> Is that what he says? Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. yeah. <laughs> just just the little things that Batman does to get into each of their heads or trick them. Really good, really good stuff. I mean, this episode has plenty of flaws, no doubt, but it's really an awesome Batman story, just because it shows what he brings to the table in spades. Yeah, and and it also shows his weaknesses too. So mm-hmm. it's it's it covers all the bases there. It kind of comes back to that line John says, but, oh, you don't have superpowers, but you're a valued member of the team. I think this episode was here to remind people that Batman doesn't need superpowers. And this is what he adds to the team. He wasn't their captive. They were his captive. You know, getting back to Watchmen, as we were talking about in the email section of the show, you know, what was that line Rorschach has? You know, you guys don't get it. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me or whatever it is. That That's yeah. kind of what Batman's pulling here. And it shows, you know, the mind games he can play, uh, that he is a really great fighter once he gets out. Um, and he just handles Joker easily. Yeah, really good stuff. Really good stuff what they were doing here with Batman. Duck! 
Giant duck hitting star sack. Yeah, that was a little corny, Will said. It was corny, but it was kind of funny. Yeah. It wasn't like an egregious pun or anything, you know? Joker has a lot of great facial expressions in this episode. Yeah, it gets a little cartoony at the end when he goes to confront Batman for the final time and he sees that the thing is empty. But I forgive it because at that point, I mean, at the end of the episode, he does the whole that, that that's all folks thing, doesn't he, or something like that? Uh, the Daffy Duck, you're just... That's it, that's it. So because they were going to deliver a line like that, I think they can get away with making the Joker a little more cartoony in that last 90 seconds or so. Plus, I think it added a bit of a lighthearted element to an episode where, up until those last 90 seconds, we really thought Batman was in great peril. He's surrounded by all these superpowered beings. Joker's pulled a knife on him. He's suggested Luthor just blow his head off. So I I can understand why they probably did that. Again, just to soften the episode up a little. Okay, so let's get to our scores. Oh, that would require me to flip back to the first episode. In Blackest Night, what are you going to give this one? A three. I'm going to give it a four? Why am I scoring this one higher than you? I don't know, because I think you hate that episode a lot more than I do. Yeah, just on principle, I'm giving it a two now. (laughs) Hey, go for it, man. (laughs) And my grade has to be lower than yours, so it gets a two. Um, The enemy below. I will give that a seven. I'm going to give this one a six. It's It's got that hardcore moment, you know, but there's still... And it's a, it's a good episode, but there's still some flaws with it, you know? And Injustice for All. This one is getting an extra point just because it's a personal favorite. It's uh, getting an eight from me. Otherwise, it would be a seven. Yeah, it's going to get a seven from me. And I had those flames out before the firemen even stepped off their trucks. That's fast. <sighs> Fastest man alive. Which might explain why you can't get a date. Yeah. Hey, what's that supposed to mean? Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, we have that new voicemail number, 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. And remember, that can also receive text messages. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more Justice League stories. Those being Paradise Lost... War World, and The Brave and the Bold. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Simsing. Thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.